Hello and welcome to Ghost Divers. This is an anime podcast. Um, I am your host, Neve. I'm joined here by my co-host. Hey, everyone. And today we are going to be discussing episodes 14 through 26 of Sakagake Kromarty High School. So again, these are short episodes, but we do have a lot to get through still. Although, again like whatever semblance of plot that exists in Cromarty is not even the reason that you watch Cromarty. So um, we will like occasionally do our little recaps of here's what happened. Here's something that we're going to spring off of, but also it's like there, there isn't a coherent here's the story arc really. So we, we, we can get right into it with episode 14 here. Um, yeah. Unless you have I mean, any you know... immediate thoughts. Well, by the way, I just, I don't know if you noticed, but I don't give my name in the intro anymore. They should, they should know by now. Your name is Connor. What if someone is coming in right now? They're like, I don't care at all about Ghost in the Shell. I only care about Cromartie High School. Well, welcome. I mean, I mean, it is on the cover art, so. Yeah, it's just like, it's just my thing, you know? Yeah, well, I will say my co-host Connor, just so it's in there. I just thought it would be more appropriate for, since we're, you know, talking about a show that's really edgy. Yeah, it's a very edgy show. Yeah, to be like a little edgy as well. Yeah. Uh, people will just start referring to you as Neve's co-host. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then later on, you'll feel bad about this decision to not say your name. And you'll try and say it. And I'll be like, no, you can't do it anymore. Your name is Neve's co-host. Yeah, it'll be like, yeah, names don't really matter, you know? Yeah. Once we know you as something, then it just creates chaos. If if you try and change it to something else that we don't, we don't like. Yeah. Although, I mean, also change is important, right? Like, That's we should, true. We should embrace people changing. You, and, you, have to, you have to look at both sides of the issue. Yeah, and on the topic of changing... Let's change this conversation to discussion of episode 14. (laughs) Um, Okay. But we'll tie it back into No Name. So this episode, uh, the, like, biggest part of it is uh, the story of Yamaguchi. Um, Again, our, like, most clear comedian character that he cares very deeply about comedy. Um, Selecting a number two, uh, the ventriloquist Nakao. And his dummy, Mick, as well as his other dummy that I believe is unnamed. It never gets mentioned, like, here's the name of this dummy. Um, even in the, like, post-credit next time on, where all of the puppets say their name. 
And yeah, a lot of this is just the these jokes around like there's multiple jokes that are around is the ventriloquist and his dummies one person or multiple people. Um, and this like you have to like buy into the joke of or the like illusion of these are multiple people. And also we get a little bit that's complicating with Ishikawa here, who is Yamaguchi's underling essentially but yeah i i think we can kind of just start off with like what's the initial premise here the the like i'm looking for a number two yeah well i think this is like a continuation of the like yamaguchi subplot it the only way that's like really coherent to talk about narrative in kurohai which i think we will later but you can you have these like nested subplots that are like centered on the characters more or less and we have this yamaguchi subplot of like or or like the distraught high subplot where it's like okay you know we need a second command and i think the one of the the core joke of this episode is kind of like this play between this the central like frame of crow high which is still this satirical imagining the schools as different gang factions at war with one another um, versus Yamaguchi's private ambition, which is to be this like comedian. Um, yeah. So you have this like this tension between Yamaguchi announcing, Oh, well we're, we're too weak or the other, uh, the other schools think we're weak. So I need a strong second in command. But then in reality, he, what it seems like he's really looking for and when we like when it's revealed that the the second command is a ventriloquist it becomes clear he's looking for more of a comedy partner which is playing on this idea of manzai comedy duos which is something we referenced last time yeah it's like Um, the most um well i don't know if it's necessarily the most it's a highly formalized style of comedy in japan it's like i the reason why I hesitated to say the most is because there's also Yonkoma or like four coma, the four panel comic format. And like both of those, I think like Manzai and Yonkoma are just highly formalized, like major. This is just how like styles of comedy are done. Um, Which Yamaguchi would surely knows uh, because he's a student of comedy. Yeah. And also is like very attached to, to the proper way to do comedy. <laughs> but yeah, so this like calls back to um, Yamaguchi's, his imagined partnership with Honey Boy or Kamiyama. And a lot of jokes in this episode spin off of that, off of this contrast as well. Yeah. One of the things that also becomes interesting here, um, I'm kind of jumping over this intercut segment, which... Uh, we can briefly touch on maybe i guess we can just say it right now i don't know i don't have a ton to say here other than if you remember last time we discussed cromarty high two weeks ago takanochi had been sent to the u.s traded places with the hijacker masked takanochi and um takanochi is just inexplicably back from the u.s riding a bus to school <laughs> um i i think Probably when we do the question bucket, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the Crow High manga, in part just because I haven't gotten super far in reading it. Um, So there are 12 volumes of like Tankoban, which are the, you know, 
in Japan, manga are normally published in what are called magazines, and they're like big phone book sized collections that just have like a chapter of a bunch of different manga. Crowhigh, I believe, was published in Weekly Shonen Magazine, who it's like the main competitor with Shonen Jump, which I think is the name that's the most well known in the US. And then whatever those like individual chapters then get published on their own. They get published in what's called a Tankoban, which is significantly smaller. It's more like a normal um, book size. And often there'll be some extra content in it, but it's also just like, okay, here's the full thing. And Karate High School in the U.S. got 12 releases, and I think it's total like 16 or 18 in Japan. Um, the reason why it wasn't finished in the U.S. is that, um, I think I mentioned this last time, but ADV basically imploded and like everything that they were publishing, they just stopped publishing, but I think still own the rights too. And there's like weird, complicated stuff around it. But yeah, I, I've been starting to reread it and it's incredible how much is, of the show is just like volume one and two. <laughs> um, there's definitely some stuff beyond it, but I'll, I'll talk about this more when we get to the very end of the series. But um, yeah, yeah, maybe that will it, give us some hope for another another series of... Or a sequel to, to Crow High, an anime sequel. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think some of this, too, is just, like, they're almost playing with the fact that they are jumping around a bunch at this point, And it becomes this joke of, like, oh, we're literally just going to do this gag that happens early in the manga about Takanochi riding a bus to school that, like, is honestly, I think, one of the first times you meet Takanochi in the manga. And... We're just going to plop it in here and not address the fact that Takanochi, like, is just not, like, last we knew was in the U.S., should not be back yet. We're just, we're just doing it. It's just randomly, inexplicably here. Um, and, like, then if, we, and then they address it later. Yeah. It's only, like, several episodes later that they're like, oh, yeah, a lot of stuff happened, but I'm back now. Yeah, although there is also a part where I forget if it's in this episode or like one of the ones soon after where, um, oh yeah, it's at the end of episode 17, they say Takanochi is still in the US. <laughs> <laughs> so like multiple episodes later, they're like, actually Takanochi is still in the US, is not back. But then also Freddy's going to go to space in that episode and it like immediately says like Freddy's back from space. <laughs> So yeah. yeah, it like they're they're getting weird and referential and like mixing things up here. But I, I think the other thing I just want to touch on is so after this random intercut segment of Takanochi inexplicably being back and riding a bus to school, it goes into Ishikawa trying to basically be like, How do I become the number two of Yamaguchi? Um what I find interesting here is so one, like Ishikawa has this awareness that has not been expressed heretofore and that like Yamaguchi doesn't seem to know that nobody else seems to know that Ishikawa is aware that Yamaguchi loves comedy and that it is that their humor styles don't match that like Ishikawa understands that and is like, do I have to go my own way or am I going to figure out how to like match Yamaguchi because I want to be his number two, which again is like leaning into this in the Manzai sense. Mm -hmm. um, part of what I also find very humorous about this is that already even like the first time that Ishikawa and Yamaguchi appear they are falling into 
tropes of a manzai duo um <laughs> and like i brought up beat beat takeshi um especially when he was doing manzai he went by beat takeshi um his like later film stuff he goes by his actual name but the like beat takeshi and yamaguchi match in a certain way in that like the reaction that Yamaguchi has to what Ishikawa is doing is violence, but that that is still like figuring into a way that has been established to do manzai by Beat Takeshi before this like series was ever written or aired. Right. That's actually um, a really good point that uh, I hadn't considered. But yeah, even in that first uh, the episode where Yamaguchi is introduced. Yeah, um, like Yamaguchi is the straight man and Ishikawa is the funny man, and the joke there is the like clash between them. Yeah, which is like already like embodying this perfectly, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. and like playing out these bits. Um, yeah, I don't know if you have any other thoughts here. We can move on to to episode fifteen, but um, um, just a couple like quick additions. I love that like Nakao's dummy is dressed as a thug. Um, it's just like this parody within a parody. Yeah, it's the most like over the top. This is what a like Boncho or what like a Yankee looks like in the show of like full, you know, the pompadour and everything. Yeah, yeah, and there's even a joke like later on. It's I think it's Ishikawa like is mad at is like face to face with the puppet and like oh I I don't like this guy's hairstyle. But it's, like, an exact reflection of his own. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, and I think it's just, like... But this is another instance of, like... I don't know if I'd call it self-referential, but it's uh, reflective in the sense of... Okay, you know, so it's this absurdity that uh, these, like, high schoolers are... Have, a, like, pretension or are figured as, like, Yakuza or thugs within the context of the show. And then you have, like, this puppet who is also like dressed as as this stereotype so it's just like notching it up one degree of absurdity but then referencing back to like all of the characters being this this is kind of thing as well um yeah. and then of course kamiyama is like uh there's this other uh subplot of kamiyama as a comedian we see here that he is also a master of ventriloquism in addition to like <laughs> um like writing postcards. Yeah. So it appears that Yamaguchi is is well and truly hopeless uh in terms of ever overcoming Kamiyama or Hachimitsu boys um <laughs> comedic talent. Yeah. So yeah, I guess episode 15 here, uh, this is one of my, so Fujimoto of Manuel High, which we haven't seen yet, I don't believe. Um, I know we haven't seen Fujimoto yet, but I also don't think Manuel High has come up yet. Um, so yet another delinquent high school is showing up. And like Fujimoto is, of bit characters, Fujimoto is my favorite bit characters being like they have an incredibly small role it's basically just like a gag and then like i think even in the manga fujimoto gets discarded pretty quickly and i i just love the like here's this contrast of online versus irl there's just so many like great little details here of like fujimoto being a moderator for the Putan message board <laughs> 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 and then um like 
my my favorite part here being and it's one of those moments where like sometimes i think this is an episode where if i had to show someone like what is a typical episode of Cromartie High School or like what is a, a typical like here's the basic comedic style of this show like I feel like you could show someone episode 15 and it's like okay you you like get it if you saw this and you know what's happening here because one the like contrast between who you are online and who you are like you know in meat space quote unquote um <laughs> is like I, I think I think a thing that everyone at this point is very aware of um and conscious of and I also think the, like, it's very easy to then explain to someone too, like, okay, and then also this is engaging with the forms of comedy in that it ends with a literal punchline, which is like, I'm trying to figure out how to get back at this troll who's Tanaka, the errand boy, who shows up very early in the manga, but literally gets introduced as the troll here, but is like the errand boy for, for Kramardi High School, who is trolling the message board, the Putan message board, and... Fujimoto's trying to think of like how do I get back at this troll um, and then they're wandering around Akihabara or Akiba I think they refer to it which is kind of the slang term that is used in Japan um, especially around like the nerds who would go there so Akihabara is basically the place that would have like lots of electronics video games otaku shit of like you know made cafes and all of that kind of stuff Um it is just like very catered to that specific type of identity of the kind of people who would be getting into wars on a Putan message board and then <laughs> going and trying to like buy a new piece of computer hardware to blow off steam and try and figure out how am I going to get back at this troll and then accidentally bump into the troll and just like immediately punch him and then be like, Oh, why can't I think of like the way to get back at him with words? So yeah, it's like, this is one where I don't have a ton of thoughts in terms of like, oh, here's how this is like further developing things. I think it is just a good, like, here is a platonic form of like, what is the general format or what is the general like structure or humor of Cromartie High School? I think it balloons out a lot more from this, but you know, the the humming episode is like okay if you can get through this you can get through the entire show um this is the part where it's just going to be the most like i think directly uh could be read as antagonistic to the viewer of like literally we're gonna have you watch people humming each other for 10 minutes um whereas like this is just the most like okay if you watch this this will like if you only watch one episode of this anime and it's because you want to understand what this anime is episode 15 might be a good one just for like getting the the general humor of it um of course we will eventually get to our favorite episode of the anime uh which is very different than most of the show but is the other if like if you're only gonna watch one episode watch gorilla sushi (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think it's so hard to with crow high to be like oh, this episode is representative. And, like, as much as we joke about the humming episode, I do think it's a good, like, litmus test for whether or not you can withstand Crow High. But the funny thing about Crow High is it's so... Although it's really... It's very cohesive and just, like, completely unique in its style, it's really hard to say, like, concisely (laughs) um, (laughs) 
what what is crow high or like what is the style um yeah like i i think we'll get into this more as i think the show like further deviates um there's a certain amount of like some of these episodes that we're talking about is i think especially if you're watching through the show for the first time you feel like it is solidifying around uh certain formulas and like recurring gags and things like that that it is then going to like play with your expectations of that. Um, But I think this is one where like, I think also because I basically Fujimoto just shows up in this episode. Like this is also an episode where you quickly get like, Oh, here's how it will repeat and iterate on a joke formula in like a, a really concise way. Uh, I think compared like there's also the Mechazawa stuff at the beginning as well that I think does this, but yeah, like, and then also just having this digression to here's like Kamiyama talking about like, Hey, you all shouldn't be late for school. We get the introduction of Hirai-san, another character who shows up very early in the manga um, is only now getting introduced here who was held back a year and is the one being like, Hey, let's listen to Kamiyama. You don't want to be like me. Um, and then everyone ends up being late to Manuel high and Kamiyama tries to leave a note and then figure is like, I should make it really obvious. So they'll see it. And I should make it really simple. Cause most of them are stupid. And so I'm going to write Kamiyama was here. Um, and then that like gets folded into like, this is also one that's just like far more, everything that happens in this episode, like more clearly follows a, a plot, even this like s- seeming dig- uh, digression to Kamiyama, which is a little bit unusual for the show, but I think also like could help someone watching through if they just watch episode 15, like latch on to here's like the ways that things are playing off of each other. Um, because you get that like slight hit of which is going to come up more later on, but of like, oh, we're going to take a like joke format or we're going to take like a recurring joke or a trope or whatever that's around this character or this like you know group of people and now we're going to like butt them up against another one and see how that interacts where then Fujimoto's upset about it goes to the message board and is like you know I can't believe this person would like graffiti our school that's so dumb um and then someone being like, well, you should think about it from their perspective, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then they being like, oh, that's so insightful. And then it just like cutting to Kamiyama, who's also on the Puta message board being like, who, that was a close one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah, it's, I do think this is a really concise episode that it, it makes more clear, like narrative sense in some ways. If someone was going to watch this, I would just say, you know, don't expect the narrative coherence to be the same in every episode. Yeah. Um, even though it's like, it is, it happens to, to be the case here. Um, to touch on your point about the way that formulas are like, you know, set up and then subverted. I think if I were to like define one aspect of Crowhai's style, it's just the all encompassing approach whereby all of the content all, all tropes and then all of the content of the show itself is material for humor. So there's just this constant churn of like the the content that the show uses to constitute itself. So like, okay, you know, here is like these tropes that we're setting up to define this character so you can understand them. 
but then at this at the same time we're going to like completely dismantle those troops later on or here is this like factual grounding of the or these like these facts about this character which we can then like turn around and completely subvert and or or like reveal um to not be the case um so like a good uh a good example is like Hayashida's hair which is this trope like for the whole I can't remember what episode it is where they reveal that it's a wig uh 17 yeah 17 so like for the first like 16 Although, episodes there's a shot in like episode 7 or something I don't know the exact episode but where there's it, like, a jumps shot off where his head. Yeah, it like jumps off his head and then he like grabs it and puts it back on, but it's like in the background in this way that's like, oh, that could just be weird background stuff happening. Whereas like it towards the end of episode seventeen, this just gets revealed as like, no, Hayashida just wears this wig and actually has the exact same haircut as uh Kamiyama. Yeah, and it's like it's it's different in, in the earlier episode where it's like it's just the like Mohawk part that like becomes detached. Yeah. But then later on, it's like, oh, no, this is a whole, like, bald cap plus, like, mohawk that is over, like, my actual, like, you know, normal dude haircut. <laughs> and then it's, you know, it's never referenced again. So, uh, yeah, I think the fact that there happens to be narrative coherence here is, it makes it this episode a little bit more accessible, but it's also, like... Don't expect this because narrative coherence itself is a joke for Crow High to like play with. Yeah. I also just a couple like things to touch on here. I love this like never ending like procession or like revelation of new like high schools where it's just like, you know, in the first like eight episodes, there I think like three or four are revealed like Distraud, Bat, Bass. And then Crow High. And then you're like, okay, now I know. I know how many high schools there are. I'm like... A nice classic three. Yeah, this is how many there are. And then it's just episode 15. They're like, oh no, here's another... We're just like revealing that there's another one. And it will never be referenced again after episode 15. Yeah. I also loved how... um, (laughs) The... uh, At the very end of the episode, if you're watching along uh, with us, which... I hope you are, because if you are, you're definitely enjoying yourself. The troll in this episode is very much like it just reminded me of these like PC master race people, which I'm sure you know yeah. like, what I'm talking about. Where it's like, oh my god, like one, like your approach is just horrible in general, and then two, <laughs> the like master race terminology is just like, what the fuck, like fascistic. Yeah. <laughs> bullshit are you on um like just stop with all of this um and yeah it like part of what's funny to me about this too is that the reveal that that is who tanaka is uh tanaka is in like the manga feels like a similar reveal to what is going on with fujimoto like as a base thing here which is like oh he's the errand boy who's like super meek and everything at Cromartie High School and then he like goes home and is this like horrible 
human being who's just doing terrible things online definitely was one of the people who was probably harassing me during Gamergate, like that kind of person. So yeah, it's, I know what you're getting to. And it's like, yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah. He, and, and then this final scene, he's like walking through like Akihabara and he's like, oh, uh, I can't remember exactly what he says, but it, the substance of it is like, oh yeah, it's so great here. Like they shouldn't even let people in here. Like people who, who can't build their own computer like shouldn't even yeah. be allowed in this in this like area. And then Fujimoto just like bumps into him and knocks him out. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's I love really Fujimoto satisfying. so much. Um but yeah, we briefly touched on episode 17. We can kind of talk about 16 and 17 together. Um there's some like continuity here. Um although some of it is also like in its own way a joke. So we get this whole thing about the Japan Boss Championship. It's introduced by Hokuro realizing that he wasn't invited. Uh, there's this whole conversation about like, oh, if you tried harder to be friends, you know, blah, blah, blah. They get into this big tangent about how, you know, Hokuro didn't say that he would go to karaoke. And it's like, well, you know, I am good at singing, but I just don't really like doing it, especially in like a situation where, you know, someone's shoving a mic in your face suddenly and expecting you to sing along. And like one, there's a certain amount of them building up this like, oh, this is what the the like championship is going to be about or something and then them being like oh obviously the championship though is not going to be a karaoke and you're like the championship is definitely going to be karaoke and then it's not <laughs> um so there's like a certain uh subversion there i yeah, think that like the other misdirection yeah i think the other subversion that's happening here is if you are especially like used to especially shonen anime which again this is like it was published in Weekly Shonen Magazine. It's technically Shonen as well. The idea of like a tournament arc, like the idea of, oh, we get to episode 16 and they're talking about Japan boss championship. They just introduced a new character from Manuel High. What's going to happen now is like the rest of this season is going to be the tournament and it's going to be like different episodes of like these different competitions where it culminates into who's the Japan boss and like nope it, the championship happens next episode um, <laughs> we get this like digression into Hokuto's lackey and Hokuto's lackey's name he keeps wanting to say this is my name and they're cutting him off uh, talking about like you know oh, at this point, we know you as Hokuto's lackey. That's your name now. Like, it would be wrong to change that. Um, very much reminds me of, I think it was the last film that Akira Kurosawa directed, which was Maradayo. Um, and there's a scene in there where the teacher is talking to a student who I think shaved his beard, being like, we know your face as the face that has a beard. Like, when you shave your beard, um, you're like also depriving all of us of our like association and recognition of your face or whatever. And it's like very much the same vibe of like, <laughs> we know you as Hakuto's lackey. It would be weird if it was something else. Now. <laughs> um, and of course yeah. the aliens who arrive are like, I will give you the honor of listening to your name because of course there's aliens, but then their ship because theirs crashed, comes to rescue them right before Hakuto's lackey can can give his name, and then Freddy is abducted. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. just normal crow high stuff. Yeah, these episodes are the it. They're a lot. Um, yeah, 
the Hokuto's lackey, like Hokuto's lackey's name gag is, I think it might be the most like drawn out of any single gag in Crow High in a way that's almost like, like you're watching it and it's just like, okay, this is even like a little bit frustrating because they just keep, it happens at least 10 times. Yeah, they're not like, they're also not iterating on it to quite the same level that they do when they repeat other gags. Like when they repeat stuff with Mekazawa, there's like a greater sense of iteration. The most you kind of get is the alien being like, of course I will listen to your name, like earthling. And then, yeah, it just keeps being the exact same thing, which is that people just keep cutting him off. (laughs) Yeah. But what I think is funny about it is it's, it's almost like Crow High can't have like a bad joke or a poorly thought out joke because they stretch this gag probably too far and you're like where are you going with this this is you're stretching it too far and it's like you're it's dead and then they spin it into like this whole other like it it becomes like a subject of discussion where it's basically what you were talking about earlier where they have like suddenly just like pivot and have a frank discussion about it i think it's hayashida is like okay yeah we're not gonna let you say your name because like this is why uh yeah and now i'm gonna have this like digression on <laughs> on names there's like there's at least like two story like illustrative digressions like narrative digressions on like oh this is why like names aren't important but this is why names are important yeah, and it becomes spun into like it, it goes a step beyond just that like basic comedy trope of like, oh yeah, we're gonna repeat this gag over and over and over again until the repetition itself becomes the joke because it's so excessive. It it goes beyond that in a way that's really, really wild. <laughs> yeah, and also there's like. Even in this first iteration of it, where you just get the like repetition of the joke to the point where it's excessive, that in and of itself is still subverting what you've come to expect for the way that Crow High like will repeat a joke, which is that it will often not do it like nearly to this extent. Um, they'll usually be like faster iterations or developments into interesting territory, and so also. There's a certain amount like it is frustrating, but it's also frustrating in a comedic way here where you are so used to Crow High, like iterating on it just the right number of times that now you're watching them iterate it. And you're like, why are you not like resolving this in a new? Yeah, like resolving this and taking it in a new direction yet. And that in and of itself is messing with your expectations of how Crow High is doing things. And then it's like. I think it once it hits the point where you've like given in of like, I guess that's just what this joke is. Is it just like iterates the same joke? Like it basically repeats the same joke over and over again. It then iterates on it where you're like, well, now I was just expecting you to keep repeating it. Like, yeah, it's like, no, okay. You just like turned it serious all of a sudden. Like what the fuck is happening? You continue to confound me from Marty high school. Um, Yeah. It's, I guess, like, at this point, unless you have anything else to say here, we can move on to the actual championship, um, which I very briefly alluded to. But uh, it turns out it's a quiz show, not karaoke. (laughs) (laughs) And 
the very first question, Kamiyama wins immediately because everyone else chooses the wrong question. It's like the style where you have to move to the side of the room or whatever. Yeah, um, stand on the answer. Yeah. <laughs> and the actual championship is incredibly brief, which I think is also part of the joke of like in any other shonen thing. Again, this would be the rest of the season. And here it's like literally one scene. And then it cuts to Yamaguchi learning that Crow High won the quit the championship not knowing what the championship was assuming that since kamiyama won since hachimitsu boy won it must have been a comedy contest um and then going to be like you know this very yankee in particular genre trope of like you don't have to win the championship you just have to beat the champion right Mm -hmm. like whoever is the top japan boss if you can beat them you're the new top japan boss it doesn't matter if they went through everyone else first as long as you can beat them you win and this is like so i i was laughing very hard at some of the stuff with this episode like this second half of the season hit me way harder and i think part of it is that i've just seen the first half way more because i will show it to people and then they will often like finish watching it on their own And so it's been a while since I've watched these episodes and just like the way that Yamaguchi is overthinking, how do I construct the joke of this quiz show being like, oh, what that person just did was funny. Like, what's the best way to like respond to that joke where I am not building on their joke, but I'm actually making it my joke and like trying to overthink and get all the way through it. And then ends up trying to think of like a funny answer and ends up accidentally giving the correct answer to the question that Kamiyama asks, which then means that he wins the quiz because it's the logic of like comedy quizzes that Kamiyama is doing where the final question is worth all the points. And yet he's, then, he's not even competing against Kamiyama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kamiyama is, which is, which is also, but also is like a thing where from it makes sense from Yamaguchi's point of view, because Yamaguchi's like, oh, this isn't about a quiz. This is about who can do the best joke. And what Kamiyama is doing is already starting to do jokes by not being in the competition of the quiz. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Yamaguchi can think through like, here's how this is a joke com- uh, contest and not a quiz contest. Um <laughs> This is like the most we'll we'll get this throughout the rest of the the show, but like Yamaguchi being so tuned in to like being metatextually aware of the comedy that is happening in the show and responding to that. But not enough. Right? Yeah, but He's not like, enough. Yeah. <laughs> He's like metatextually um. <laughs> aware enough to like position himself between like the show and the viewer. Or not between like the events of the show and the viewer, but then like he is still part of the show. Yeah, and all like often like the the joke here to me is that Yamaguchi wins the quiz, which means that he technically won the championship. Thinks that he lost because giving right answers aren't funny. But within the whole setup of the show, including Yamaguchi being part of the joke that is happening here and the setup of the joke happening here, the funniest possible thing that Yamaguchi could do would be to give the right answer and thus feel like he has failed. Right? Yes. But for us, the viewer, that is funnier than Yamaguchi actually 
doing some like quote unquote funny answer that Yamaguchi would consider funny. And so like it becomes this weird thing of like Yamaguchi's metatextually aware of the humor that is happening, but then becomes the punchline at the end because like it folds into the final step like Yamaguchi fails to to recognize that he is the joke too. <laughs> right. <laughs> Essentially. Exactly. Yeah. Um and I think like that's a really good way of summarizing it on like the highest level but i think also like the just the sequence of events in and of itself is like is really funny like if you look into actually like the meat of how like this sequence is funny and how it plays out it it's just it like all the way through it's so good because the whole like yamaguchi versus kamiyama like confrontation it like at the very start you have like three competing frames of reference which is like all the students think this is one thing which is like they're going to fight which is like this like basic stereotypical like interpretation of like oh they're gonna have a fist fight and see who's like stronger whereas like kamiyama because he has just won the like the boss competition which was a quiz yeah he interprets the challenge as like oh the challenge is a quiz and then yamaguchi interprets it as like no this is a comedy challenge <laughs> so you have like three different like perspectives that all just collide and like set the stage for this <laughs> um for this complete comedy of errors and then uh, obviously like yamaguchi giving the answer that he does i think he says at the very start like i can't remember who it is that he says it to but he's basically like no you idiot like giving the right answer is like it's the wrong thing to do because the right answer isn't funny like you just have to give the answer that's the funniest and so kind of like getting back into what you were saying the fact that he at the very end of like for the final question he just tries to think of the funniest like most absurd possible thing he could say and then like because the universe of crow high is even more absurd than he can imagine. Like the answer that he's thought up is actually the correct answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he just like yells it before the question is even like asked. <laughs> yeah, because he's also concluded that yelling the answer before the question is like completed is also funny. Um and is like part of the humor. And that also he needs to get the joke out now because otherwise someone else might do it first. Yeah, like just the 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 way that, like, everything mounts here. Part of what's also so great about this <clears throat> is that, like, so often, like, I even referenced it last episode uh, that we, you know, our last recording, that often explaining the joke, like, ruins the joke. And yet so much of what's hilarious with this episode is Yamaguchi explaining the jokes and that the jokes are, like, maybe slightly funny of, like, oh, like, you know, Hayashida said oh wait can i answer that last question and kamiyama saying no which is like already kind of a funny bit but then yamaguchi reacting to that and being like this is great comedy like you know saying that you want to answer the question before that's a like fantastic joke becomes funnier than the actual joke (laughs) yeah yeah and that's Um, like i think that's what i was trying to articulate earlier which the thing with crow high is like and the, the character of Yamaguchi especially brings this out. The humor is so, 
like it's it's so all encompassing that like not only the like characters or interactions and like the little bits that happen are part of it, but also like Yamaguchi's own like continual interpretation of like Yamaguchi is interpreting the comedy of the show within the show, and his interpretation of the comedy that's happening like then in turn is immediately like consumed and like also turned into comedy in this like seamless in this seamless way and uh oftentimes when i'm watching crow high i'm just like how do they even how is this even possible like how do they even balance balance this and make it so coherent because it is it is coherent in its own way even though like narratively it has all of these incoherences it's it's so like well realized and balances and like flows so well it's really uh yeah it's it's unlike any other show yeah well i guess we can move on to episode 18 this is you might have more thoughts on this but um you know, it starts with this little kid with an adult face, which becomes a recurring joke. Um, it already kind of has been. I like referred to Hirai-san and like he looks incredibly old, even though he's only one year skipped. There's stuff going on with Max, uh, masked Takanochi and, you know, his age being like what in his 30s or something um or older so yeah yeah or older talks about having like been in the mexican prison and stuff (laughs) like that Um, (laughs) and uh you know this little kid loves puton and is in line for a puton signing and then it turns out that freddy is puton and it turns into this plot of you know puton using body doubles for the signings but then like freddy takes it so seriously supposedly that like freddy is becoming puton uh the puton's like comedy duo partner is trying to get rid of him and then like we get this great ending of a reading of freddy that makes sense even if it's not necessarily true of like freddy as this pure being freddy as this like person who just like fully embodies whatever it is that they are doing and so freddy being like oh i'm going to be puton like i will be puton and that in order to win back like the role of puton the actual puton has to prove that he too is real and has this like pure desire for comedy yeah like um, he's, unwor- that, he's become unworthy yeah but then that becomes like subverted by like as soon as he starts trying to do it like freddy is just bored already and is taken <laughs> off the suit and is like going to do something else like Freddy, it, I love Freddy so much as a character in this show, and this is this is definitely like one of the best Freddy episodes. Uh, also has some very good Puton stuff, but I feel like you ha- might have more thoughts here. Yeah, I just think this is like it's it's always interesting the way, and I guess I'll touch on this like to- towards the end of our conversation. Um, but the way that the show like progresses and like evolves in its own way uh is is always really especially going through it now is like really fascinating to me and so yeah here we have puton which like previously puton was just like this very small part of the show like the 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 show puton was a small part of the show crow high but then all of a sudden like puton becomes an actual character 
And there's this whole plot like centered around the actor Puton, who is also just like they just call him Puton. I guess that's like his his alias or part of the joke. So yeah, again, it's just this like constant churn of elements where things that are like seem to be thrown away or marginal just suddenly like explode into the forefront like randomly and then it's like oh yeah we have a, we have an episode on Puton now i also noticed this time around that when the kid is in line the little kid with the adult face <laughs> is in line he's uh <laughs> he's also introduced like the exact same with the like subtitle the exact same way all of the characters are i kind of think it kind of like heightens the the correlation between the two of them the fact that he has like this adult face and he's also introduced the same way. I think they're playing on like the, the similarity, um, the visual similarity in a pretty like obvious way. But his, his thought process I noticed really mirrors Yamaguchi's attempts to like analyze Puton when he's trying to figure out why it's funny. So, you know, first he, he realizes like he sees Freddy's face and he's like, Oh, it's not Puton. And then he's like, well, it must be the costume. Uh, the costume is confusing everyone and making them think that it's Puton, but it's really not. And then Freddy removes the costume and everyone's still like accepting that he's Puton. And he's like, what? I can't believe they still think he's Puton, even after he took off the costume. And then he's just like finally defeated. And he's like, okay, I, I'll accept this as Puton. And that like, <laughs> that process of like confusion and acceptance is like, the exact same thing that Yamaguchi goes through, where he's like, oh, it's not funny. Well, maybe it's funny because of the costumes. Oh, it's not the costumes. So maybe I'll just accept like that it's funny. And uh, moreover, to, to actually make this little digression have a point, I think the point, uh, I think like the thrust of this, this like joke formula is, again, like the world, the universe of Cromartie High School, it defies logical analysis. And, like, when you see these characters try to apply logical analysis to, like, the world around them, they themselves become the joke because they're trying to, you know, make sense of a world that is absurd, fundamentally. So, yeah, I think uh, that's my final thought on this one. And I think it speaks to, you know, an overarching tendency that you know, we'll definitely see in the next episode as well. Yeah. Um, this, so episode 19 was like, this episode just hit me so hard while I was watching it. Like this was so same. Yeah. It starts with legendary biker Sudaharu. This is one of the like first huge moments, which the show will, will touch on a few more times here where like, it just starts and you're like, this is, what is this? Like, what is this show about? It's about like a biker. Like it's just suddenly a like initial D parody or something like yeah. <laughs> for like, like no Tokyo explicable Drift. reason. Yeah. Um, where, you know, it's just like top motorcycle biker. Who's the bat. Like, you know, the way that he wins is how quickly he can recover off of the turn. Um, blah, blah, blah. And like literally other than the style, there's nothing like the style of the drawing. There's nothing here that's really suggestive of like, oh, this is Cromartie High School, until suddenly the reveal of 
you know, Sudaharu being basically like, oh, like nobody can compete with me. I like miss the feeling of having any sort of rival who can challenge me. And then just like out of nowhere, no hope of beating you know, Sudaharu has no hope of beating this person at all. Kamiyama comes riding on Mekazawa, and Kamiyama is riding backwards on the <laughs> Mekazawa bike. And I remember this joke so clearly. It's like one of the jokes from the second half of the season that I remembered incredibly clearly, except for the part that Kamiyama is backwards on the bike. <laughs> And for some reason, just, like, me seeing Kamiyama backwards, I was just like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I did not remember it that way. And it, like, the full impact of the joke hit me, even though I fully knew what the joke was going to be, aside from just Kamiyama facing backwards. This is another... That was the only part that was unexpected for me this time. (laughs) This is another, like, what the fuck is Kamiyama doing moment, which they're always so good. Um... Oh my god. But yeah. And uh, then also like the build up to that scene is so like carefully structured and just like perfect to like create this tension. And then like oh like there's this epic reveal like following all of these anime tropes that you're like, you know, are totally like clearly articulated like you're you're like oh shit, like here's the challenger blah blah, blah. and then it's just like he could like Mekazawa explodes past this guy and Kamiyama is just like riding backwards like <laughs> like making eye contact with the dude <laughs> uh, yeah this oh. is definitely a um, a, a top a top crow high bit um, the part too with like the riding backwards too is that there's a certain amount of just like this isn't even like like it suggests a certain degree of like Kamiyama's not even trying to win. <laughs> yeah. Right? He doesn't like, even know what's like... happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's just like Mekasawa's just taking him for a <laughs> Yeah, he's just like completely yeah. like passive and like uh, unaware. Uh God, I it's... love this bit so much. <laughs> yeah. The, it's like it's hit it, me again. again. Like, <laughs> the thing Krohai, it, it really is like I mean, I'm just giving my opinion because, you know, whatever. But, like, it really is, I think, one of the greatest comedies I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just because at, at the highest, like, level and at the lowest level. The lowest level just being, like, hey, like, what if, what if like, the guy riding this motorcycle was facing backwards <laughs> instead of forwards? Yeah. Everything is so, like perfectly like every detail is so perfectly like positioned and selected it yeah it's a yeah it's a it's a great bit it's one of these reasons why i will show this to people and it's not like if you don't think that crow high is funny we can't be friends or something like it's not that at all but it's just like if i show this to someone and they are laughing as hard as i am i'm like okay we are like our brains are both weird in the same way and i appreciate that i'm glad to now know that (laughs) yeah yeah Um, and and, like just speaking generally about the second half of the season i had only watched like all the way through crow high once before going back to it now this time and i i feel the same way about the second half it it really hit me hard this time there is a bit in episode 21 that like 
it's the the seal bit where i was laughing so hard like i i was in pain that's i was laughing so hard i was like concerned for my own health yeah yeah and before we get there i guess we can so there's this like track and field day part which um so you know track and field day is a big thing at uh japanese schools um I don't know, like, I feel like there was something like that when I was growing up as well, but I know it's, like, a huge part of um, a lot of anime because it's very common at Japanese schools. Oh, we had field day. At my school, yeah. we had field day, like, every year. <laughs> um, But there's, like, a lot of this hinges on uh, this continuation of Mekazawa as a bike, obviously winning the, the sprint, Um, and then there's the whole conversation of, like, is Mekazawa, like them being like oh he cheated and they're like well it's still our friend like he may have changed but he's still our friend we have to like you know appreciate him and then they're like oh and also like just because he's really good at the sprint doesn't mean he's going to be good at everything look next up is the high jump and like how's this motorcycle going to do the high jump and then wings and rockets come out and mekazawa just like sails off and flies into the distance um you know, standard gag, definitely funny. I enjoyed that this bit a lot. Um, yeah, also because what... <laughs> it's like it's Maeda who's like part of his like the joke of his character is that he's constantly like f- from episode one, like he he's trying to like distinguish himself, and he's like, oh yeah, like people don't know this about me, but like the one thing I'm really good at is running really fast, and like this now they'll see. Like, I'm going to win this race, and they'll know, like, I'm the one who is the fastest runner. And then it's just, like, a literal motorcycle. (laughs) Um, And then we also get the return of Kamiyama Rider, the Kamiyama riding Mekazawa, this time saving Tanaka from bullies, which, honestly, Kamiyama, you probably could have just let Tanaka get bullied. He deserved it. Um, (laughs) But uh, the, the real funny part here being... They literally just do the music video gag again. And this is such a great example as well of Cromartie High School, like playing with the expectations that you have as the viewer, where before the music video starts, like you see the Kamiyaman writer segment of him saving Tanaka. You're like, "Mm, if this is following the same thing, like I know what the joke is going to be. Kamiyama then comments on this is what the issue is going to be when the the cops are going to show up. But I did everything right this time. You know, I have like everything set up correctly with the bike. I'm wearing a helmet. I'm following blah, blah, blah. all the laws. Yeah, I'm, I've been obeying all of the laws. You're also like this time too. What he did to scare the bullies away was that he just like flew up in the air and then landed. Like it wasn't missiles, which is a like clearly dangerous thing. And what we thought was wrong the first time and wasn't. And so it's like, Oh yeah, like everything is right. And then it does the whole music video gag and you're like, okay, but there's going to be some reason that he's going to get arrested at the end of this. Right? Like it's going to end with Kamiyama and Mekazawa arrested, but like, what is it going to be? Kamiyama just went through everything.
And the the joke is just that it was no motorcycle license, which is like, like that's not that funny in and of itself. But what is funny is the like elongating out of the joke of like I know how this is going to end and yet like it's intentionally playing with your expectations there in these like weird ways where it's just commenting on like your awareness of it in a weird way I don't know like it it hits me so well uh even if it like even as it is this just this long we are going to like draw out the punchline by putting a music video in here (laughs) I I can't fucking believe that they brought back the music video gag. If, if, uh, if y'all have, I mean, if this is your first episode of Ghost Divers you're listening to, well, of course, welcome. But in our last episode, those of you who have, who listened to that one may remember just how like totally befuddled we were with this <laughs> music video gag, which is like the weirdest. And this is saying a lot because this is cry, but like the weirdest shit ever. And it's almost, I didn't remember that they did this a second time. And when I saw it, I was watching it again and I was just like, is Crowhigh making fun of us? Like our podcast? Because <laughs> <laughs> we were so confused about the music video gag and we were like, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like a throwaway or like maybe this joke doesn't totally land. And then Crowhigh is just like, what if, we, yeah, now we're going to bring it back, but longer. And just, like, make the, the stuff that they're, like, cutting into it, too, is just even more random and, like, unrelated to uh, episode 19. I don't know if you noticed that. Like, some of the stuff that gets cut yeah. into the music video is, like, completely unrelated. So, yeah, everything about this from, like the setup being like oh don't worry like i followed all of the laws this time and then like cut to badass music video Then the punchline at the end where he gets arrested anyway and then like the fact that they brought back this gag like yeah if if i didn't like laugh if i didn't think the first one was that funny this one is hilarious yeah 
And then we get this, like, suggestion of baseball, and you're like, oh, I guess this is going to be, like, an episode that's goofing on, like, sports anime. Because, like, even racing anime is kind of in the same, like, wheelhouse as sports anime. Um, It, like, plays in a lot of the same tropes. And then the Rheinbakus show up, which are this, like, rival gang that's going to try and beat up the school. And they're like, let's go get our super weapon, Mekazawa, who we were just talking about, like, how maybe he can still help us play baseball. Um, And they just find out that he's stolen. And it's just, like, such a weird, like, the joke of this whole... It's setting up these, like, two different things of, like, oh, this is going to be about both, like leaning into sports anime and also leaning into Mekazawa as a bike. And then they're like introducing this other gang, blah, blah, blah. And then it just suddenly like anticlimactically smash cut ends with like, Oh no, he's been stolen. And it just ends. (laughs) Yeah. They have these, like there's at least like four different plots in, in this 10 minute episode. I feel like there's the like Tokyo drift plot. And then there's the Kamiyaman Rider, which kind of spins out, but they're not really connected. And then there's at like in the last three minutes, they just introduce like, oh yeah, like we were gonna play baseball. Let's go do that. And then that lasts for 30 seconds. And then they're like, oh, here's this whole like here's this whole other plot about we're being evaded by this like rival biker gang who again like never appears again in in the rest of the series and it just yeah. like it, it is introduced as a complete lark for the last like 45 seconds of the episode to set up this like anticlimactic like punchline of like oh oh he's he's been stolen yeah again this is one of those things that like only crow high i think could achieve yeah four plots Um, in 10 minutes (laughs) so episode 20 this is like i don't think we'll have a ton to say here but this is also still a pretty like there's some great moments in this episode um a lot of it is focused uh focused around hokuto um i think we get the more explicit mention of like there's stuff going on with Hokuto. If you want to know what that's about, read the manga. <laughs> yeah. But we get this joke of Hokuto's butler, Jeeves, where I think earlier when they're talking about names, there's a. it starts out when uh, Hokuto's lackey realizes that people don't know his name is when they're like sitting around talking about what member in your family do you look like? And Hayashida, I think, even says, like, oh, I look like my grandfather. Mm-hmm. And then Hokuto's butler is like, oh, my... Or Hokuto is like, oh, my butler Jeeves looks like Hayashida. Like, I wonder if this is his grandfather, you know, talks to Hayashida, says, hey, what are, like, what do you remember <laughs> about your grandfather? And it's, like, this thing that very much makes sense of, like, oh you know, was always starting different business ventures. Last we heard of him, he was going to try and go start, it was like a coffee company or something. Coffee farm. Um, yeah, a coffee farm and was like moving to, you know, Brazil. South America or whatever. And this like, oh, clearly that failed because it's a bunch of failures and then ended up as this butler. And, and he's like, too, it's just he has like, too much shame to like go back to his family and admit that he's like failed or whatever. 
Yeah, and has just become a butler in Hokuto's castle. And, it, <laughs> you know, then it just gets denied with the anti-climax, which, like, recurs as well of it keep being, like, their surprise at seeing each other. And then, you know, the first time being, like, who are you? <laughs> um, and then the second time being, like, oh, it's you again. Like, welcome back. <laughs> um, yeah. I, yeah. It, well, I think this is notable for... Um, Krohai like gesturing you know we've talked a lot about how Krohai like it plays with genre conventions a a lot and one of the like genres that seems to come up in the last like six episodes is this more like sentimental type of narrative of like a family drama and here this episode feels like it's almost setting the stage for for stuff that will come later in terms of like gesturing towards this type of narrative and then while also just like mocking it by being like no hokuto this is not what was happening at all you idiot like they're not related so yeah. uh yeah and then this is the the bit i was talking about earlier i don't know why i thought it was in episode 21 but there's a great bit in in this episode yeah where uh hokuto is a seal <laughs> Um, is in class and is trapped in a seal body and is trying to figure out how this happened, is trying to tell people, but just makes seal noises. Then Hokuto shows up and is like, oh no, I swapped bodies with the seal. That seal is like me coming to school now. (laughs) Is like trying to like move forward, fall, like lurches forward the like desk falling the seal falling and then falls out of bed and it was all a dream this is just like one like <laughs> you missed a very, you missed a very important detail which is that he's like oh i have to like scream i have to yell and let yeah. everyone know what's happening <laughs> he starts making these seal noises <laughs> <laughs> And and I and one of the classmates, I think it's Hayashida, just like punches him. It's like, shut up, you stupid seal. Uh, yeah. Uh. And like one is like all of just the stuff of Hokuto as Hokuto as a seal. It's just with, with like everything so that funny. is everything that is like Hokuto's character too. Yeah. One, it's so funny, and then two, there's this, like, when there's the reveal of it being a dream, there's a certain amount of, like, this was such an absurd premise, and yet, given Grow High, (laughs) I was just accepting it. (laughs) Like, I was just like, yeah, I guess Hokuto's a seal then. Like, (laughs) this makes sense, like, this makes sense within this world. Yeah. Hokuto could just be a seal now. Like, (laughs) yeah, and the only thing that is, like, signaling to you that like the only reliable signal that you have to be like okay maybe this isn't what's like really happening is like there's this pan down at the start i don't know if you remember this there's this pan down like at the start of the scene where it's like panning down from the ceiling and on the ceiling there's a a mural or it's not the ceiling but it's like the you know god what's this architectural term i'm not gonna remember it Above the above the doorway portal, um, there's a mural of David Bowie, with like, I think it's like the art for his like single release yeah. of the song Changes. And it pan it like start the 
shot starts on that and then pans down and then cuts to like the inside of the classroom. That's like it. If if there was not this weird like what the, why is there like a David Bowie cover yeah. art here, you would have no idea. But even that, like, I'm so willing to accept because even though they often don't explicitly call it out to this degree, like most, we haven't talked about this, I don't think, but most of the episode titles, um, which there are multiple throughout an episode because it's like literally chapter titles from the manga and they're just throwing out those chapter names as they come, but they are often references to like Western rock in particular, Mm -hmm. Um, Western pop music, but especially like western rock genre of pop music and you know there there are a few that are like a little bit different like one of the early ones is blade runners high which is obviously a reference to blade runner but yeah it's just like even that i'm like okay i'm still like willing to accept this because you've already set up these like weird classic rock or like just rock in general references the fact that you called it out to such an extent where you like have this actual mural of like david bowie is a little weird but i'm still just like rolling with it like yeah if the reveal of this was that it was not a dream i wouldn't be like it's so weird that hokuto turned into a seal like it still makes sense with what this show does to be like yeah hokuto's a seal now i guess like that whatever yeah, it's almost weirder like, that fine. it's just a dream <laughs> yeah yeah the fact that you reveal that it's a dream is just like oh what the hell like that was too far <laughs> um yeah because that was been a bike for most of this series but like hokuto being a seal that's too far you know we have freddy and a gorilla <laughs> i think that's also maybe you you would be more like equipped to speak to this than I would because you you've actually read you own and have read the manga, but from everything you've told me about it, and the way that this like adaptation is working, I think one of the I think the the process of adapting the show, the way that they go about it in a certain way like makes them go even further with the absurdity in terms of the style of the comedy where like they have even less space and less structure to replicate all of these elements. So then it's more of just like, okay, you know, well, first of all, part of the joke is now that we're adapting it. Yeah. But then like the, the cuts and edits and rearranging of like taking from the manga and then putting it like adapting it into this anime, like that also is like part of the joke. So we're going to completely a lot of, Oh, go ahead. A lot. Like from what I've read. So I have read through the manga once before, which was like back when I was an undergrad and first watched the show. And so I'm rereading it now. And like, both because it's just also a hilarious manga and especially reading through it again. Now there are somewhere I'm like, the manga is, also very funny and if you like the show you would love the manga and there are so many more jokes and there's so many more bits and everything but also the show can be punchier i think than the manga can in general which i think some of this is just the the format of a manga a manga coming out you know again it was weekly shonen magazine so there's one every week but that's still one bit every week whereas like you're watching the show and presume so i looked it up and basically 
I think that this show aired, so it's 26 episodes and I think it aired over 26 weeks. It's hard for, I haven't found actual dates about when everything aired. I just found when it started and when, like when the first episode aired and when the last episode aired. I also found something that suggested that I think it was aired like two episodes together in a half hour time slot, which obviously makes sense. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of anime fits this like, you know, 15 minute time slot under because of commercials format. And so likely this probably aired every other week. And so, but even if it was like every week, you're still getting like what would be four or five chapters of the manga often per week. Right. And you're probably getting them both like back to back. And then you're waiting two weeks is my guess on in terms of how this aired. I could be wrong, Mm -hmm. but just like looking at the release schedule and how it lines up with actual weeks that makes sense to me. Whereas the manga was releasing every week. And because of that, I think there is a certain, there's a greater amount of like, I'm setting up a joke and I'm going to continue to just, I'm going to do the, all the iterations that this show might do over multiple episodes. I'm going to do it over multiple chapters that are like more sequential than it is in the show because people still need to hold on to what I'm setting up and how I'm developing it. And then I'm going to switch to something else, whereas the show can kind of jump back and forth a little bit more between those bits because it's just hitting you faster. But I think there's also some moments where they're like, okay, here's a joke that was in the manga. And like, there's one early on, let me see if I can find it again. But a lot of it is like, there will be far more, like there'll be a like greater degree of that introspection. Like even, I think the second chapter is... Kamiyama doing the like how do I become a delinquent book Mm -hmm. and there's just more bits there the stuff of like in the show let's introduce Freddy let's introduce the gorilla let's introduce Mekazawa hit so fast whereas each of those is a chapter in the manga and each of them has like here's this full build up and then the reveal at the end of Freddy here's this full build up the reveal at the end of the gorilla here's this or here's this full build up reveal at the end of Freddy. Here are multiple chapters that are joking about Freddy. Here's this full build up of the reveal at the end of the gorilla. Here are multiple chapters joking about the gorilla. Here's this full build up reveal of Mekazawa. Here are the actual jokes that we get about Mekazawa that happen. And so like I think the anime can just say like okay, one if you read the manga you're probably not going to find it quite as funny if we like fully do like, here's an entire episode that's about Freddy mm-hmm. and like directly that actually, the... yeah, yeah. Like one that actually doesn't full, like accurately replicate what is funny about the manga. It is like trying to adhere to the release schedule or like the nature of how these jokes had to be constructed over time in terms of a manga being released weekly in magazines versus what how that like comedy will hit in an anime so i think it very smartly adapts that stuff but i think also there's a certain amount too of like actually we don't need to do all of the jokes that existed around gorilla and like gorilla climbing a ladder to get a banana and stuff like those are funny jokes but like what we're more interested in is let's quick do the hit of the gorilla and if you're new to the series you're like oh my God, all these characters are getting introduced and this is ridiculous. And it's like hitting so fast. And like the jokes are just coming at me. And like, oh, what is it going to be this time? 
And if you're a fan of the series, you're like, okay, I already know about the gorilla and it's just hitting you with that joke quickly. Mm-hmm. Right? Like if you already read the manga, I think it very smartly knows like where should we speed things up both so that it will hit well for the, the first time. Like this is my first experience with Kermarty high school at all, as well as I'm a fan of the manga. How is it still going to like hit me and surprise me even as someone who knows the like base jokes for a lot of this. So yeah, that's, that's like a tangent, but I do think like, this show adapts the manga incredibly smartly. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's part of why this show works so well is one, the base material of the manga is hilarious and it captures that, that humor really well, but it also adapts it very well to an animated format and also to the way that you are going to experience anime versus the way that you are going to experience a manga, especially when the manga was first released in this like serial weekly form. And it also seems like in the course of adapting the manga, the show, the show, it, it just becomes something else, like entirely, where the the fact of the adaptation being like taken in as a joke and as like a subject for the show to joke about, like it, it adds this additional layer of differentiation so in addition to like, okay, chronology and like everything else is just thrown in a blender, you have the show is like the show is now able to play with like, okay, yeah, we are in adaptation and there's a manga of this that exists. And that that seems to accelerate too. Um, like one of the things that I noticed in the final few episodes is the way that the chapter titles are like superimposed i know like we've talked about before how one of the devices that the show uses is like the superimposition of text every now and then but i it seems like more in the second half of the season the actual like manga chapter titles begin to be introduced and again without explanation at all so you're just like have this random title like show up on the screen and then the way the way that it, that happens, it just or the frequency just accelerates. Like in the last few episodes, you'll have like two or three or four subtitles within one episode, and it's again, it's like this is no longer like it may be very nominally like marking out like, oh yeah, you know, here's this chapter in the manga that we're adapting right now, but I think more than that, it's like jokingly referencing that fact like the fact that there are like chapters in the manga that are being like kind of adapted into the show itself becomes its own bit where they're throw they'll throw like in five minutes there will be like four different subtitles where it's like yeah this is like ceased to signify like anything aside from just like the fact of adaptation itself We're just, like, making a huge joke out of this. Yeah. And devices like that, it it seems, like, allow the show to... I don't want to say, like, take the next step, because I obviously... I don't think it's, like, superior to the manga or whatever, but really, like, do something else. Yeah, like, I... 
we can get more into this. And if people like really want to know stuff about the manga, feel free to write in ghostdiverspod at gmail.com. There's going to be some time in between us recording this and when we actually get to the question buckets episode. And I'm hoping to read through all 12 volumes that were released in English. I actually just looked it up and it was 17. So I said like 16 or 18 before, and it was literally the midway point. Uh, 17 Tankoban were released in Japan. 12 were released in the US. I'm hoping to read through all of them by the time that we get to the question bucket. Although at a certain point, I'm going to be also reading the Evangelion manga because we'll be watching that. And I like even more so there, I want to be able to very directly talk about those in parallel, especially when we get to the ending. But yeah, this like, I I think what you said is very true. Like I highly recommend if people like the show Camardi high school, if they read manga at all, like check out the manga in some ways it does feel more pure to like what is funny in the manga is what the dialogue is like, what are the, what are people actually saying? That is what the substance of the manga is. And then the show is adding all of these layers and it's doing it in this very smart way. That is like one, how do we adapt manga to anime? How do we do that in a way that is like becoming a joke in and of itself in a way that will also delight those who were a fan of the manga as well as like new people. And, you know, I watched the show before I read the manga and now I'm watching the show having read the manga. And so I'm like getting a little bit of both perspectives, but like, I mean, obviously you haven't read the manga at all. The anime is still incredibly funny and the moments at which it is referencing this is an adaptation is also funny, even if you don't get what they're talking about. And then if you do get what they're talking about, it's like funny in its own other way where you're like, oh yeah, that does get explained in the manga. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or like, I I haven't fully reread it. And again, it's been a while, but like, I feel like part of what they're joking about, about like, if you want to know what's going on with Hokuto, like, read the manga then happens because you see this dream that happens in the manga of Hokuto being a seal and it's being like Hokuto having these weird dreams. And so it's like, okay, you even had this moment of like, if you want to know what's happening with Hokuto, read the manga, but then you actually do still show the weird dream. (laughs) Yeah. I just assumed that there was some, like there was some thing about him eating meat. Like, in the manga. Yeah, like that is another part that I think is like another additional joke. But I'll I'll have to reread because I feel like they like tie in in weird ways. But it is still like like me watching it this time, I was like, oh wait, when they talk about like if you want to know what's going on with Hokuto, they're like talking about what the seal thing is that's gonna come up like shortly. <laughs> right? Like they're gonna do it. Yeah, <laughs> they're gonna do at least they're, they're gonna do part of it. Like, it's yeah, it's like this show constantly. Yeah, I don't know like anything else other than to say that like this is an incredibly good adaptation of the manga, and stands alone as its own hilarious thing. Both if you are a fan of the manga or if you've never read it before, and I do think it builds on what's in the manga and. The manga just has the advantage of, like, there's so much more. Again, there's this entire, like, arc of Hayashida going on this fantasy adventure that does not exist in the show at all, 
other than being referenced in the opening in a way to make fans think that it is going to be a thing and that will happen in the show because it is like the closest thing that the manga has to like a very clear overarching story for a while. Yeah, it's just like one thing that is incredible to me is how much compared to the manga, this show leans into the non-linear nature mm-hmm. because I feel like this the manga is in fact actually more linear the like speculation of how are you going to adapt this like gag manga that like doesn't really have a plot well maybe you'll latch on to what the plot is and being like no we are literally going to jettison as much as we can of the actual plot of the manga is like is such a brilliant decision that ties into both the humor of like the manga itself and like accurately represents it in terms of an anime. But like, if you're going to adapt this manga, of course you have to adapt it in the way that you're jettisoning the actual plot, because that is the correct way to adapt this. Even though you as someone who's like first thinking about like, how would I make this into an anime? Well, I guess we have to like latch on to what is linear here and they correctly go like, no, no, that is not actually what you need to latch on to. And that is both a joke, but also a correct decision about like what is actually funny about the manga and what we actually need to like carry over to this new audience. Well, um, and it's it's even more remarkable just as like a final, you know, a final thought on that. It's even more remarkable that they make that decision because they're because of the format they're going to i.e. like anime i don't want to like steer us into film theory stuff but you know traditionally like anime like any like type of film it tends to rely like heavily on narrative so it's like oh we're gonna go to this even like more this form that's in a way even more like traditionally contingent on like having a coherent narrative and also just like linearity in general. Yeah. And like, but yeah. the way that we're going to make that pivot is we're just like completely like throwing this narrative into chaos and cutting it out. And then just like what remains, we're just like throwing it all like <laughs> in into complete chaos. Um, it it's it's really remarkable. Yeah. Speaking of being in complete chaos, those are that was a great that was a great tangent. Yes. <laughs> um, do you want to get? But, do you want to talk about episode twenty one? Yeah, uh, the train episode. This is this is like for me a um, as much as the show has a climax. This like often to to some degree feels like a big climactic moment of the show, in that. Like, one, this kind of leans into a certain sitcom trope of the... I'm trying to remember exactly what it's referred to as, but it's, like, basically the episode that all takes place within, like, a room. Like, a closed room. Mm-hmm. Within sitcoms especially, they're notoriously cheap to produce, and a lot of it just becomes, like, how do we have these characters bounce off each other when they're all in the same space? Um, and that's kind of what this episode is doing for the most part, everyone is on the same train and all of these recurring bits, all of these tropes, all of these formulaic jokes are being brought together and made to bump up against each other and interact in this way that feels the most like 
payoff in some ways of a lot of the the like threads that have existed so far. So I said most of course Hokuto, Hokuto's lackey and Maeda end up on the wrong train because that makes sense for their characters. <laughs> and, you know, Takanochi is back. It's kind of just suddenly remarked upon of like, yes, I was in the US, but I finally got back, but it just happened to be the day, the day that we're on a trip. This is the first time that we see Takanochi and Mass Takanochi together, and it's, like, briefly commented on. Um, we even get, like, weird little gags, like Freddy's horse shows up, which has kind of been a recurring gag. We get, yeah, a lot of this, like, okay, here, here's what, like, this character's formula or gag or joke is, and now let's, like, put them into conflict with each other in a way that we then get, like, a bunch of these different threads intertwining in some way and i think the like clearest way that this happens is of course like kamiyama's running gag throughout all of this is his way of looking at what's happening and being like let me approach this from like a quote-unquote logical or orderly approach let me explain this to you let me be the smart one who like puts everything down and makes everything clear and like you know, comes up with these various levels of explaining it, which of course also end up being weird where like, I think the manga even directly comments on there's like a certain amount of this joke that's happening where like sometimes Kamiyama actually seems like the stupidest one (laughs) in this whole group. And like, that's in full display here. We even get Yamaguchi showing up and Yamaguchi like trying to analyze a joke that is happening. That's like, Yeah, everything is just intersecting in this way. And for me, like, I don't know your read on this episode. For me, this feels the most like, oh, everything is coming together. And now, like, I think the expectation you might have as a viewer is like, this is what the show is. Like, they've set up everything for this last little bit. We're going to get everything. We're going to get all these other ways that these different jokes can come together. We're going to, you know, like. I don't think Mekazawa features here. Like, we're going to see how Mekazawa then, like, ties into this, right? And the train in particular is, like, creating this very clear microcosm where they can have everything happen here. And you're like, okay, like, this feels like the payoff, right? It's not going... They're going to subvert it. (laughs) They're going to subvert it. Let me... Dear listener, let me tell you. Don't expect to pay off. This is not what it is. It does not pay off. But yeah, I don't know if you have other thoughts. That's like my overarching thought here is just there, there's a last little bit that I'll say, but I'll, I'll let you comment a little bit on what's happening um, about like basically the very end of this episode, which I also I find like very humorous in the ways that it's talking about expectations and like the formulas of the show itself. Well, just to give you a segue into that, um, I, I think I think your recap of the episode is is very good in terms of summarizing a lot of what's going on you know again it's a very crow high thing that happens here because it it brings all these characters together and it seems like it's setting up for some kind of resolution you have this other device which you're going to talk about in a second this other device introduced which is like this uh seemingly like earnest again kind of sentimental like philosophical discussion at the end of the episode and it's like oh is this you know is this something that i can latch on to that like explains some of what's going on um but in reality it's kind of like it's equally 
<laughs> or even more absurd, like anticlimax. So yeah, you're kind of expecting a payoff, and instead you get this like meandering, anticlimactic, really odd discussion at the end. Yeah, I guess I can just like say what this end of the the episode is. It especially struck me this time as I've been like thinking deeply about Cromartie High School in a very Yamaguchi way, where there's this whole conversation of like it almost feels like we didn't go on the trip at all. So basically, they're on the train. Everyone falls asleep and is like, Kamiyama, tell us when we get to our stop, which I believe is Osaka. Is that where they're going? Um, I think I, they're, I forget they're going, where it is. I think they're going to Kyoto initially. Oh, yeah, Kyoto. And then they like um, miss the, the stop. And then they like overshoot, and I think they go to Osaka or something. And then, well, they're going to like get off at Osaka, and then they overshoot again, and they go to Hakata, Hakata Station, which is in... Uh, yeah. I can't remember um, what city. But... Basically, they, like, are taking this train line. They're supposed to get off at Kyoto. They miss a stop, but Kamiyama fails to explain it to them, like, that they were supposed to get off earlier. And so they just go all the way to the end of the line, and they get on a different train. And I don't think it's also the train that goes directly back, and so they just go somewhere else, and then they eventually get back. No, they. To... I think they take the, the express train back to Tokyo oh, yeah. accidentally. And then they, like, <laughs> so... miss, they miss Kyoto altogether. Yeah, and so they don't go on the actual school trip. Like, the whole thing is just the train, and then they end up back at school. And this ending thing is them talking about, like, it's weird. I don't even feel like I have memories of the trip. Like, it felt like it was so short, right? Um, Yeah, I feel like we didn't go to Kyoto at all. Yeah, and then, like, Kamiyama is, like, kind of playing it off. And then I forget who it is that says it directly, but is like, no, like, we need to talk about this. Like, we dodge issues when they inconvenience us. Isn't that why people laugh at us? And there's this moment of, like, especially for me, if you go back and listen to our first discussion episode of 1 through 13, I'm laying down, like, here's a base formula of, like, the style of comedy, which is this, like, people are more committed to, like, that idea of, like, Geary or, like, their duty or whatever, than they are to, like, the Ninkyo, like, their actual desires, their, the, like, humanity of them, um, or it's, like, this tension of it, and a lot of it is about, like, maintaining appearances, and we get this moment where a character is, like, very specifically saying, like, hey, the recurring underlying formula for so many of these jokes is about people dodging issues and instead, like, trying to maintain some sort of illusion of appearance, and isn't that, like, what the joke of the show is? And they're like, no, like, and Kamiyama starts doing this thing. And you're like, oh, it seems like Kamiyama is going to reassert it. Like Kamiyama is still leaning into, let me dodge the issue of the trip because Kamiyama is going into like, oh, didn't this one writer talk about how like we may not have the memories in our head, but we hold the memories forever in our heart. Yeah, that's what that's what determines whether or not you really went on the trip is if you have memories in your heart. Yeah, not if you have the memories in your head, but if you have them in your heart. And then they're like, oh, when you put it that way, it's like very obvious to us that we didn't go to Kyoto. <laughs> and then Kamiyama's like, yes, like, there you go. I explained it to you that we didn't go to Kyoto. Like, I finally conveyed it to you. And it is this like, it just like fully subverts the like, oh, if the whole time you've been thinking like the humor of the show is that no one actually like truly resolves the issues at hand and instead like goes through these convoluted means to maintain appearances 
it is going to make you think that it's going to happen again and then subverts that. And it is this, like, this whole train episode has been, like, let us have all of these, like, here is us not saying what we mean. Here is us, like, dodging the issue. Here is us reading an assumption about appearance and then, like, not actually, um, or us, like, in trying to live up to that appearance, like, perpetuating some sort of situation. Yeah. And, like, the so much of the train episode is that style of humor that I think is very easy, especially when you first start watching grow high to be like, this is what the formula is because I think in some ways up until this point in general, often has been, um, or it has been in like underpinning theme. I brought up the whole essay about like Yakuza cinema for a reason, because I think it is a key part of humor early on. And what is happening here is the show just being like, actually, no, yeah <laughs> like that too gets like this yeah this is a joke too of. yeah so i don't know if you have other thoughts here we can just move on to how how it goes on from here <laughs> yeah um there's a great uh there's another like fantastic yamaguchi bit in this episode i won't go through we all stand of it. yamaguchi yeah yeah we do <laughs> i won't go through all of it because like at this point you like you all of us, all of us here, like li- listening, are well equipped to like parse out what goes on there, but um, it's very good. But yeah, I, I guess we can go to episode. I kind of grouped twenty two and twenty three together here. Yeah, they're kind um, of a, they're kind of a pair, I would say. Yeah, so. I feel like also like coming off of episode 21, there's a certain amount where you're like, Oh, are they returning to form here in some way? Uh, which is this return to who lackey, like who could lackey's name again. I think you alluded to this before. This gets like far more into the discussion of like what names mean. There's this whole Hokuto remembering this like sentimental childhood together with the lackey, it then being revealed that that was some other kid that he knew <laughs> and he didn't like meet until middle school or whatever. We also get like some stuff with Freddie ending up in unexpected locations, which has kind of been a, the like recurring joke of Freddie. There's also a certain amount where I think this ha- happens later on with, I believe 25 where there's a part where they actually show like all of the animals of the of crow high and freddy is grouped in with that but there's like this certain amount where like freddy is a character i think in this moment you it starts to dawn on you that like freddy has more in common with like the gorilla freddy's horse like these other weird animal characters than like even mekazawa right but Yeah. yeah like this episode generally feels kind of like oh this kind of feels like it's the formula again we get a like weird subversion at the very beginning of 23 with the non-joke of Mass Takanoshi's glasses where you feel like it's building up to a joke and then it's just like it goes nowhere and they're like it's almost like it's commented on that like oh it's not supposed to be funny I'm just wearing glasses now it's like I'm it's a completely old. lost plot yeah like it's just yeah it opens the episode and then it just like it it just like terminates and then like the episode moves on it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, here's a slice um, of life of, like, Mass Takanoshi getting glasses. It goes nowhere. And then we get this thing of, like, Kamiyama, you're becoming cold. 
and it goes into this like big breakdown of in a way that the end of 21 was kind of gesturing towards this like huge setup of like oh appearances are also based on expectations like what we expect of someone influences how we're going to then interpret it so if i sit here and read a book you're just like oh i'm reading a book but if hayashida sits here and reads a book you're like oh it looks like hayashida is really struggling to understand that book but then if you put hayashida next to the gorilla hayashida looks like the smart one because you're getting like like this comparison um and it's almost just like it, it feels this episode 23 in particular feels the most metatextual about the show being like we're talking about expectations and how expectations are set up and subverted or how like those prepare you to read a situation in a certain way um we also get this with yamaguchi at the very end so yamaguchi seems to be getting along with ishikawa more has won some money from the postcard competition and decides to take ishikawa to a sushi restaurant um, finds the gorilla working there preparing sushi and on one level is metatextually aware of the absurdity of this and then on the other level then prepares like ah here's this funny sentimental story of how this gorilla like ended up being part of the sushi shop you know was uh stranded outside the sushi owner brought like sushi shop owner brought him in was trying to take care of him but was having to work extra hard and got sick and then the like gorilla taught himself how to make sushi because he felt so bad and that now he needs to take care of the owner who's sick and then the owner shows up and is just like what the fuck is the gorilla doing here <laughs> Um, and of course, like Yamaguchi continuing to be metatextually aware of the comedy of the show up until the point where he then becomes the joke. <laughs> yeah. Which is like, again, in this weird way, fulfilling some of the like tropes and formulas. But I think also the show is at this point, like becoming the most directly like we are talking about the way that we have been doing comedy up until this point in a way where like we are deconstructing our own jokes and we are making the process of explaining the the formula for our jokes into a joke in and of itself that is also funny. <laughs> and if that, yeah, it, absolutely. And it, again, this is another episode where, or the, another like instance where I'm like, in doing this podcast, I think we we set out to do this podcast, and we were like, you know, we did we did all our mission statement stuff in the first episode, but. Just to recapitulate, you know, I think we're obviously trying to parse out or like flesh out a lot of the dynamics in the show and how it works as people who are pretty familiar with it. And as people who are also probably closest to Yamaguchi of any of the characters in this show. Yeah. And it just feels like Crow High, it's always one step ahead of you. Like in doing this podcast and in talking about the things that we we've been talking about and trying just like really hard to flush this out. Like we've become the joke, you know, I'm uh, watching the second half of the season. There were a couple of times where I was like, the show is literally making fun of us. <laughs> and like it, you know, it's, it's existentially terrifying. <laughs> um, not really. Um, but it it is really impressive though, um, because again, like Crow High, it's it's always one step ahead of you because everything is 
accounted for and everything is made into a joke. And so, you know, in our first discussion episode, we were talking about how, oh yeah, you know, at people's expectation, like the contrast between their expectation, how they act on it, how the people are perceiving them, so on and so forth. And then it just becomes this total lark. A lecture by Kamiyama, which is like run through and then turned itself like into a, an absurdity. And so, yeah, the show, like, it, it's accounted for us already in a way that's just, it's wild. And then the, yeah, the end of this, the end of episode 23 with uh, the gorilla in the sushi restaurant is another, it's just pure gold, this whole sequence. There's a, the joke of, like, Yamaguchi opening the like opening the door to the restaurant and then the gorilla being behind the counter. Um, Which is itself like mirroring the original introduction of the gorilla as well as like Freddy and Mekazawa. Yes. And then like in and of itself, you know, in, it, but then also like displacing it from any sort of sense of what was funny there was that it was like some sort of parody of Yankee genre where it's some comment of like Escalating the kind of people of like yeah. the people who are being introduced. <laughs> Whereas here we're doing that same joke of the reveal of there's a gorilla, except it's in a sushi restaurant and like in some ways denying you of a reading that this is actually in any way a parody of like anything. a specific genre. Yeah. Yeah. It's like completely disconnected from anything like completely random, like not like signaled or telegraphed. <laughs> At all in the like anywhere in the prior series, the rest of the series. So you know, in a normal sitcom like this, in and of itself, I mean, this wouldn't occur. But like, this would just be the joke. But then, you, like, because it's crow high, like it turns into a whole like sequence of increasingly funny jokes where, like, Yamaguchi's reactions. Like, the framing is, like, of a rational person being presented with, like, some absurd event. But, like, his own reactions to it are, like, shown to be absurd. Where, like, you know, he he closes the door and then opens it again. And then he's like, hey, Ishikawa, like, is this a sushi restaurant? Are you sure this isn't, like, some other kind of restaurant? Like, as if being another kind of restaurant would explain, like, the, <laughs> the gorilla being a proprietor. And then he's like, are are they open? <laughs> like, again, like, as if them, like, not yet being open, like, would explain this. And then, yeah, it, it goes on. Like, I think there's a comment that really got me. Once, once Yamaguchi reaches the point of being like, okay, I've acknowledged... Like, Ishikawa acknowledges it, and Yamaguchi and Ishikawa are, like, conversing about it. Yamaguchi has a comment where he's, like, or one of them does, where they're, like, well, you know, if a gorilla was just in here, it wouldn't be such a big deal. But, like, since he's actually making the sushi, it's completely ridiculous. <laughs> like, this is completely inexplicable. Yeah. And then I love the fact that the, like, Yamaguchi's, like, fantastical, fantastical narrative explanation for how this might have occurred which like you you went through very nicely like pretty much actually becomes real 
like in the next episode. Yeah. yeah so uh, I guess we can move on if yeah. if you're ready. Yeah, I'm, re- oh, I'm ready. Episode twenty four. Ready. <laughs> God, I. So like, I think when you were first watching this, I was just like, you have to get to Gorilla Sushi. Like, you have to watch Gorilla Sushi. It is one of my favorite episodes of anything ever. And in and of itself, it is like funny, but then also situated within the context of Cromartie High and coming this late in Cromartie High, it is like such pure gold. Um, Basically, this is like a fairly traditional kind of saccharine, like slice of life, struggles of family and tradition. Here's the sushi shop. The uh, owner's son has like gone on to be a land shark, uh, presumably Yakuza or something. Definitely has some like delinquency to him. Um, The owner wished that his son would take over the restaurant. Uh, The son doesn't want that. Blah, blah, blah. Um, One of the, you know, the main character who in this case is Gory the gorilla is... He's an apprentice at the shop. Yeah, he's an apprentice, but then he shows them both the error of his ways by making this banana sushi and it being like, you can't just force what you like on someone else. Um, And both of them come to this realization of how selfish they've been in the situation. And like, aside from the fact that Gory is a gorilla, everything else here could just be like a straight, like, you know, melodramatic, but a comedy. You know, yes. but like a a like dramatic comedy that you that would be very of a certain genre. The way that this an is animated compared to the rest of the show is so much more traditional. There are definitely moments where they are cutting corners in terms of how they are animating. They are doing that in the expected ways that you would cut corners for animation, where it's we are going to show these characters from behind looking into a sunset because it is like dramatically or emotionally poignant for the conversation they're having, but also it allows us to like simplify the animation. I think someone could easily watch this and even say that it is better animated than the rest of Cromartie High. I don't know if this is actually true. I have this comment in here. So... I think there is a certain amount of similarity with Crow High and Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, which is also another great like comedy series that I, I love a ton. One of the things that is kind of infamous about Garth Marenghi's Dark Place is it is made to look like the like very bad B-movie horror, like television, you know, cinema kind of things that existed. Those like... This is clearly low production in trying to make something that looks low production, but that actually is funny and hits right. Garth Marenghi's Dark Place was actually very, very difficult to produce. And there's a certain amount of like, I watch Sakagake Kumari High School as a whole, and I say, what a brilliant idea on the part of the, of like production IG to say, okay, we're going to make Ghost in the Shell standalone complex and Sakagake Kromarty High School at the same time because, of course, you can pour your budget then into, you know, standalone complex and not have to pour it into Kromarty High School. And yet I know just enough about animation to be like, some of the stuff that is poorly animated, quote unquote, in 
Cromartie High School, like some of the ones where it's just like, oh, here's a still frame of a character dancing and they're just sliding around in this weird way. There's still a weird amount of planning of how you're going to like even just move that frame and take the shots in like animation where I don't fully know how they animated this. So, but there's like a certain amount of like, this might actually have a slightly higher budget than it first at first appears. And I think gorilla sushi shows you the actual level of budget, which is still clearly lower than ghost in the shell standalone complex, but is like, if they just animated everything like gorilla sushi, this would be like a totally fine animation quality, right? Yeah, like Gorilla it, Sushi's it, it is animated normally, like what you might expect from a comedy. It definitely <laughs> um it definitely confirms that again, I, I don't really know enough about anime technically to, to make any conclusions or whatever. I think that the animation style it might not be the most technical, but it is extremely deliberate. In terms of like how everything is realized. Yeah. And this is so like this episode is then just hitting on multiple different levels where one, it's like this feels so traditionally like this is just a, a an entirely different genre of comedy from what Cromartie High has been. To a degree where I think when you first start watching Gorilla Sushi for the very first time, you're like, oh, this might be like a thing like the Sudaharu like legendary biker thing where they're going to set up something and I can already kind of see the joke is like, oh, the gorilla is the one doing it. And then it's going to like just go off into regular Crow High direction from here on out. But they just stick to the bit. They stick to continuing to have scrolling at the bottom of the screen periodically, currently showing Sakagake Kumarty High School, like in this way, commenting very directly on we are doing something that is at odds with what the show is. And it being this like, I don't know, like this show or this episode of the show just hits so incredibly well because it's like they fully commit to the bit of everything in this is a joke to the degree of we will now do a more uh, straightforward, typical like slice of life kind of comedy, but also dramatic like genre straight narrative. And yet the fact that we are doing that is also itself a joke. <laughs> exactly. Um, in, in our notes, I put the best analogy that I can come up with is, the the force of the irony and the humor is like magnetism where it's like the closer they get to the like quote-unquote source material of like the type of narrative that they're making fun of the stronger the irony becomes so in the course of like acting out like oh this is actually like they get to a point where it's like Gorilla Sushi is almost, like, kind of touching in terms yeah. of, like, how it's realized. Like, it's it's gone through. It's totally earnest, like, 100%, except the one element swapped out is that, like, it's the gorilla in, like, the role of the yeah. apprentice. And that one swapped element, like, casts everything else into, like, total absurdity. So the fact that it is so close to, like, being the source material... 
becomes like the closest and like earnestness of it just becomes completely flipped into this irony. It's also like I have this note here of so there's this part at the end where the sushi shop owner is like, of course I want like you to take over this one, but you know we're opening that other location, and I'm hoping to ask Gory to do it. Um, and then the the like other person being like, but he's a gorilla. Like I just want to say this, he's a gorilla. And then the owner being like, he's not a gorilla, which he's um, our family. (laughs) Yeah. He's our family, which is like similar to the jokes that we were talking about when we were talking about Mekazawa and how like, you know, the switch in terms of Kamiyama and Hayashida from just say that he's a robot to don't say it and like becoming invested as they like become material, emotionally connected to Mekazawa. Like we are seeing this like literally play out where there's this clear emotional connection that they have to Gori and it being like, Oh, within the logic of this episode, it really makes sense now that this person would be like, no, like this person's a part of our family. Like this, they, they like helped me come to terms with my relationship with my son and stuff. And then it'd be like, no, wait, he really is a gorilla. Yeah, he was picked um, up by animal control. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's just like, like even that is itself like starting to comment on like weird things that have been happening in the show. Like this episode being so funny and like, you know, as you're saying, like has the emotional pull, but then also that becomes the joke. And so much of it is like the context that it's in and the way that even these small moments are like recalling other parts of a show that are so at odds with the episode you're currently watching. Yeah. It's just like, this episode is so good. I love this episode so it's, much. It's really, it's really good. Again, just a, a reminder, if you're not convinced like, please watch the anime. If you have to watch one thing from the anime, you watch Gorilla Sushi. Because it's... <laughs> it's one of those where I'm like, on one hand, like, if you're going to watch one thing, watch Gorilla Sushi, because it's my absolute favorite episode. On the other hand, like, please watch everything and get to Gorilla Sushi. Because having watched 23 other episodes of this show before you get to gorilla sushi just makes it so much sweeter. It does. <laughs> now I will say if you're going to only watch one episode of Cromarty high school, probably should not make that episode 25. <laughs> yeah. 25 is like, I feel like it is so intentionally just like, like, it is also, in, in the way that Gorilla Sushi has been at odds with the show, it is at odds with everything that has happened so far. Um, it's this whole, like, animal lovers club. We get this slight joke of, like, the highly realistic photo of a dog that is Hokuto's lackey's pet, I think. I think so, yeah. Yeah, we get, like, some of these. Maeda, Maeda finally features heavily this thing that he probably wanted all along, and it's just, like him cleaning up after animals and reflecting on it and having this long digression about bath mats and how stupid I, you know, like, Oh, how stupid I was to not realize that when I step into the bath, my feet are dirty. And so of course you have to wash it daily. It's not just when you step out with clean feet. It's also when you step in with dirty feet and it's just like, this is one of the moments where the show feels to branch Like, it's branching the furthest from all the expected beats, and that is what becomes the consistent joke here for me. 
we also get this whole thing of Maeda trying to become a cat, which is also just like this weird digression. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it is like the degree to which it has set everything up. And I think the joke of this episode being, it is not even, you're now used to like, oh, you're going to subvert my expectations in some way where I can see how it is like very clearly and masterfully subverting things. And here you're just like digressing in such a way that that becomes the, the subversion that it was like, Oh, how are you going to interestingly subvert this? And instead it's just like, no, we're just going to do something completely different. That is just like kind of what we've been doing, but not really. And we're not really going to play any of the old jokes. We're going to have moments where we'll make you think we're going to do it, where we'll cut away to Freddy's horse and like Freddy riding the horse as a recurring gag, but it doesn't go anywhere. We're not going to do anything with it. And it makes sense within this being Maeda taking care of everyone's animals. Like this, this episode is not an episode that I laugh at a ton, but I also think that like, me not finding this episode as funny as a lot of the show is also the show playing a joke on me. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. I think I feel like this is the, I, I just can't help but see this now. I know this is very egocentric, but this just feels like the show's final like joke at us doing this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Just being like, it's just like explain this one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, here you go, like, you're you're trying to suss out all this connective tissue and, you know, explain all of these episodes and talk about what's funny. And here's this one that just defies all of that. And it... it yeah, they've succeeded. I'm uh, honestly, you know, I'm, I'm speechless. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's entertaining episode 26. Let's go. (laughs) So of course, Cromartie high has to end with the denial of any kind of actual resolution. Um, we start with Sudama Cromartie high school or Sudama Cromartie girls high school, which is literally just the like repetition of the jokes that we got from episode one and two, especially the ones of we're introducing characters, except it's now a school for princesses instead of a school for thugs. One is that like that. So this is in some ways, I think also a joke on anyone who said that like the humor of the show is this parody of like these shonen genres and in some ways it's weird because it's like, okay, but then they're still doing these like jokes that feel like they're tied in with thugs. But also there's like this weird to like, okay, we can like, I think the show's in some way saying we can completely displace this. And we already have mm-hmm. from like the Yankee genre yeah. and it still be like basically the same jokes and the humor still working. And that we're just like starting from a point of Yankee genre but that's not actually that integral to what the humor of Cromartie High is. Or that the fact that we're like starting from that point is now like the joke. Yeah. <laughs> there like there's a certain amount of this where honestly some of the the let's like have some of these characters appear, they're clearly speeding up compared to the original episode one and two how some of these jokes hit, but they're still like committing to it. But this is honestly for me where it feels like it goes on the longest, I think in particular, because 
the biggest payoff for me in all of this is as you're starting watching it being like, okay, what are they going to do for a girl, Freddie? And then it just literally being Freddie Mercury's outfit from, I want to break free the like music video for, I want to break free, which I also just like love as a music video, as someone who loves the queer parts of queen, but yeah. And, you know, it then I think it also has the additional payoff at the end of when we see Maeda, you're like, oh, it's not Maeda's mom who looks like Maeda. It is something that like has the same slick back, blonde hair, but like the girl equivalent for Maeda. And then Maeda's mom shows up as like the only to any degree named female character in the show heretofore. She shows up at the end being like the new transfer student or whatever. Which, like, then becomes the joke of, like, oh, who's the last person they could introduce? Oh, it's literally just Maeda's mom. So, yeah, like, I don't know how much this fully hits for me. Like, there's a certain genders happening here. Um, I don't think it has too much interesting to say about it. It is funny to me because it's like, oh, we've gotten to the last episode of the anime. And now we're literally just going to, like, start at the beginning with it just being a girl's high school instead and it being like this super shoujo trope of like this feels the most to be leaning into something like Utena which we'll get to and then we get the return to Kamardi High so it also has that subversion of you being like oh I guess the joke here is just that it's going to be like shoujo instead of shonen Mm -hmm. now and then it's like oh no we return to Kamardi High School and then what it is is them talking about what is our future going to be. Or actually, at first, I think we get a brief introduction of the Four Lords of Cromartie, <laughs> which the Four Lords of Cromartie, which are based off of the band Kiss, are significant characters in the manga who just have not shown up at all. They happen very early in the manga. Like, I think the very first Tonkoban has the Four Lords of Cromartie, or at least they, they definitely show up in the second one. And... Again, like significant characters for this show, very briefly brought up, and then they don't even complete like what the joke is. They only bring them up long enough for you as someone who maybe read the manga to be like, oh, are they finally going to introduce them here and do their bit? And all they do is introduce them and cut away. That's all they do. (laughs) And then they do this like discussing the future, which... Especially when you're watching the anime, you're like, oh, this feels like some sort of poignancy about the end of the show that then gets like somewhat subverted or joked upon when they drop Mekazawa. The other part that is the big joke here is that this discussion about what our, what's our future going to be like, which for this anime is what closes it out and what feels like this perhaps here we are like going into some sort of sentimental ending literally happens in the second Tankoban. It literally happens in volume two out of 17. And they're just, and it's like literally what just happened, like what follows the four Lords of Cromartie in the manga after the four Lords of Cromartie are introduced and they have their like multiple chapters of bits. The next bit is Hayashida saying, I'm thinking about the future. Kamiyama talking about like, Oh, look at Freddie and Mekazawa and like the gorilla and look at how they're just like, oblivious and just living their lives blah 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 and it's like literally the beginning of the manga which then also just becomes this weird joke like the whole episode 26 is this full denial of like any sort of conclusion to the series i think especially at a time when they were probably aware 
when they were producing episode 26 that there actually wasn't going to be more that like this was the end <laughs> yeah and so it's just yeah it's like even here they have to like deny you of having any sort of actual resolution <laughs> I, I while ironically gesturing at it <laughs> i totally agree it it does feel that way um it feels like uh, there's always so much happening. I do think there's a lot happening in episode 26. You've touched on a lot of it. They're playing with beginnings and endings, like, conceptually. They're gesturing at this kind of typical, like, sentimental anime ending type of thing. And then they're, you know, perhaps aware that this is the end of Kroai. Like, there's not going to be more. So then Kamiyama's statements about, like, oh, there is no future. Like, we don't have one. That's, like, it's simultaneously this, like, you know, thuggish, like, punk thing. I mean, the whole no future, like, idea being, a like, a a punk association. But then also, like, the show doesn't have a future. Um, and they're like, oh, is there something poignant about that? Nope, we're gonna, we're gonna deny that. It feels like, at least my reading of it is, and, and I think we agree on this point, they, the fact that you know, there's this like gender swapping, but then the first half of episode 26, it just basically recapitulates in a very um, obvious way. It just recapitulates like episodes one and two. I think especially episode one, um, like all the events from it um, with just like, oh, but all the characters are, you know, they're all female now, um, except for the gorilla. And even though we've already seen female gorilla, yeah, like female gorilla exists, but like not not in this episode. So you know they're clearly like I think they're trying to pantomime this trope of like a cyclical ending, and then making a mockery of it <laughs> as they do that, because of course it doesn't just end like cyclically. Um, we break away from that the first like narrative of episode twenty six. The, gr- the girls' high school, and then we go to the final ending, which is this... Well, the Four Lords, which is, like, again, as you point out, like, a to- total work about how, like, the material of the manga getting into, like, the anime. But then, uh, yeah, I-, I just see this as, like, a very ironic pantomime of a cyclical ending and then a denial of that. Um, again, gesturing at, like, these sentimental like narrative conventions and then like very like anticlimactically uh with a thud i.e mechazel breaking like just completely denying it (laughs) which is you know in my eyes the most cromarty way possible to like to end things yeah um so That's the end.
全略おふくろ様先駆けクロマティ高校神山隆のワンポイント生活講座の時間です先駆けという漢字はひらがなだと四文字のところを一文字で片付けられます Actually, we might talk a little bit more about how does Crow High construct comedy I don't know if you have other thoughts but、um... that's the end Bye <laughs> Bye Until three seconds from now How does so general points of discussion? Like, we've talked a lot about how Crow High creates humor. I think it'd be interesting to just briefly talk about like how that actually works.、Um, in addition to some of the Yakuza like genre conventions that you brought out in the first discussion, I was kind of keeping like a loose formal list of formal devices and I'll just go through them. So we see like heavy use of backdrops. Backgrounds that are just, you know, run the gamut from like abstract patterns to different types of settings where the character's like framed against the sky in like episode one. Or like, I think there's one where Hokuto is framed against the Eiffel Tower. Like, he's in front of the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. There's one that hit me really hard where I don't even like fully remember what it was. It was just like they were at school and it just cut and. It was almost like someone was like at a train station suddenly, and there was just like some people walking around in the background. And I don't know why that one in particular hit me so hard, but it just did. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like they just took a like random like group of a hundred stock photos. <laughs> There, just... There's definitely one like early on in some of the first episodes where Kamiyama's talking to his old friend who I forget his name, but is drawn in a completely different style. And the background behind him is like this very different, almost cyberpunk world. And I was,、yeah. there was like this brief moment where I was like, did they just use some frames from like when Bato and Kuzanagi <laughs> are walking through this like sewer system underneath section nine while they're escaping? Like at the very end of that series, is that what they just like pulled and threw in here?、Um, yeah, that's so like, weird. I had completely forgotten that, but that is such a bizarre juxtaposition that happens there. And also, with... like, comments on it where there's a part where you see Kamiyama and like the other character facing each other, and literally, like, the two backgrounds are fighting with each other, like,、yeah. going back and forth. Yeah, in a way that it's like menacing. It's, it's、yeah. so odd. <laughs> It's just, it, okay. So, yeah, backgrounds, like. Yeah, what we just discussed also kind of ties into the next part, which、yeah. is this. <laughs>、um, which is like peripheral animations or effects in or on the, like, on the frame. So, you know, you'll have like、uh, the frame itself will like get distorted. You'll have figures like. Enter, exit the background. You'll have, again, like shapes or, you know, just forms, like unexplained forms that appear in in the frame. Again, in a, like along the same lines, the distortion of the frame itself, like distortion of figures.、Um, so, a good example of that is like figures like being stretched or shrinking or like enlarging. Um, that's used really heavily. I can't, I, there's at least one instance of someone like their face being stretched like laterally across the,、uh, across the frame. I、yeah. can't remember who it is. Heavy use of close ups, obviously. I think this is one that like is 
from the manga. Yeah, um, the the manga has a lot of just like here's a close up of a talking head, and that's the one that feels the most like oh we're literally just doing these panels. Um, yeah, and then like going along with that, you have exag- obviously exaggerated drama of of all types, but that's often paired with like the close ups self-referential commentary obviously we've talked a lot about that at length breaking the fourth wall in various ways just like i just put the absurd so as like a catch-all so you know aliens like a gorilla mechazawa unexplained like happenings occurrences whatever Hokuto being a seal, <laughs> which like the joke becomes that it is explained as a dream. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, the fact that it's not like just posited as something real that's happening is like ex- is exceptional. Repetition, you know, obviously again the uh, like joke about Mekazawa being a robot is here, isn't he? Like the whistling episode, or not whistling, the humming. Why did I say whistling? I'm really losing it. Um, the humming episode, you know, taking that to an extreme. And then like text being superimposed on the screen, commentary, like subtitles. Like when characters are introduced, they're like, it does the like battles without thing. We talked about that, where it has the introduction with them and their age. And like sometimes their title, they're like, you know, title boss of like first year at Distraught High School. Then eventually, like subtitles, uh, which are used as a, a joke in their own way. So, you know, all of these elements, like, and, and more, if we really like went into it, we could pull out even more. But yeah, so. This is kind of an inventory of like the ways that you can take a, a manga that's basically like talking heads and then figure out how to create humor in an anime uh, format. So, yeah, I don't know if you have any any additional discussion you want to add to that. I I also, you know, want to talk about like how it compares to other comedies, but I'll let you have a crack at it first. Yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, like, one of the things is, on one hand, I do find some of the, like, weird absurdity and, like, weird animation stuff funny, and there's a degree to which I think, uh, like, I'm gonna put kind of scare quotes on this, but, like, a lesser show, like, I I feel like there are Aren't they all, though? Yeah, I feel like there are lots of other shows that would have these weird things that just feel like non sequiturs or that feel like, Oh, here's some bizarre thing happening in the background. And yet this show makes it work for me in a way that some of those other shows might not, or that while I may have laughed when I first saw that stuff, it like hasn't aged as, as well as like the form of comedy has moved past. And I think part of why this stuff works so well in Cromarty High School is one, we haven't talked about it as much, but some of the stuff does in its own way start getting repeated and subverted and like messed with in weird ways. There's one note that I had of we see the old man in the cloud appear multiple times 
And then there's a moment where Kamiyama says the old me. And then like that old man appears and then it like becomes funny in a new way because it's like, wait, like the old me being when I was young, but now here's this like image of an old man is like, is that is old Kamiyama? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and, and I think also like, the whole layer of we are doing this because part of the joke is how do you adapt this manga that is talking heads into anime is we just start randomly animating things in weird ways, like also adds a, an extra layer to that weird absurdity or that weird, like we're just going to do something that is bizarre that like helps the joke continue to work for me in a way that it might not for something else. So this might be a good way to like lead into, I think the common point of comparison for Cromartie high school is adult swim. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll let you talk on that a little bit more, but I, I think the comparison works in some ways, but I think like I, I find Cromartie high school is actually far better at like executing this format and, and doing interesting things with it than like most of adult swim actually is for me 100 percent. and so caveat you know i'm a person who i've watched a lot of adults in comedy uh, i think i've talked on this on our podcast before about how adult swim basically like got me into anime um, yeah i mean I, to some degree same for me yeah i mean i guess i could argue like cartoon network because i was a huge cartoon network you know I watched all the Cartoon Network programming when I was young, including like Gundam Wing and stuff. But yeah, so, you know, I have a fondness for Adult Swim for sure. So that's my like qualifying statement. But um, so you brought up Adult Swim before in our last episode, and I do think it's a good comparison point, um, especially because people, a lot of people listening maybe like are familiar with Adult Swim and not as much with something like Crow High. Um, so how, how is Crow High different? I think it's substantially different. And the way that it's, it strikes me as being different is it has a more robust and like cohesive approach to comedy as such. It feels like, I hate to say this cause it sounds pretentious. Um, I really don't mean it this way, but it, it feels like a, a comedian's comedy where, it's utilizing all of these different techniques very intentionally to actually build jokes. Jokes are very, the jokes are, are structured even when like, even when the, it's, you know, they're doing all these layers of meta commentary and subversion. Like there's a lot of these bits are very clearly built up to and structured in a way that seems very deliberate um, and is anchored in this like, this very cohesive approach comparing to like something like Aqua Teen Hunger Force or like Rick and Morty. I think a lot of the time adult swim shows like they rely on shock humor, you know, Aqua Teen Hunger Force being a good example. Like that's a show that, you know, I I like a lot of episodes of Aqua Teen Hunger Force, but if you think of like all of the most memorable bits, it's always like, Oh, um, you know, that episode where, like, they're cutting people's dicks off to, like, build a rocket ship out of dicks. Or, like, where the robot, like, 
is they like saw Carl's hands off because the ghost of Christmas past, the cybernetic ghost of Christmas past, like wants human hands. And it's always some like shock, like violence that is like, that's kind of the punchline is that it's like some wild left turn into like a shockingly violent. Um, Yeah. Whereas like the most, here's the sudden act of violence that's going to punctuate this moment as the joke is like, Fujimoto punching Tanaka the troll. Right? Yeah. Which is, which is like so much more tame. Like it's, it's not a shocking act of violence in the way that like we have all been very directly or like very simply. Uh, I'm trying to think of the like correct word. Like we, we are used to the violence of a punch on television. It is a very like blase normal violence. Yeah. Um, and it feels like more of like, and it's also not, like it's part of the joke, but also part of the joke being like using the punch as the punchline in this very like intentional, again, based around like forms of comedy in a way that a comedian might be engaging with them and thinking about them while watching the show and not just like, oh, suddenly this person's head gets cut off or like their eye is all weird or whatever. And that's the joke. Like, the joke isn't the violence itself. It is how the violence of Fujimoto's punch becomes a punchline of, like, a... A structured, like... Yeah, a structured, like, word-based, sequential... Yeah. Um, which, Which does feel very different. Yeah, and it's also, like, you could still see this as, like, being part of... As in the slapstick tradition. You know, like, as a very advanced, like, again, like, you know. The Marx Brothers that Bato would laugh at. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but like, but kind of like coming from that, like, approach of like, okay, yeah, this is like, you know, a formalistic, like, idea of comedy. It seems more grounded, even though it's departing from this in a lot of ways, it's still grounded in, like, this formalistic approach to, like, comedy, like, building up jokes. And, like, yeah, someone getting punched is a punchline, but, like, it's, you know, it's still, like, structured. Whereas, like, Aqua Teen Hunger Force or, like, even, like, 12-Ounce Mouse, which I like, or Xavier Renegade Angel, which I can't stand, are just, like... Oh yeah, like the joke is like this extreme thing happening unexpectedly, or like someone just illogically like doing something horrific. Crowhai yeah. like has a method. Um, yeah, I think the Adult Swim show that hits the closest to Crowhai for me, and it is my favorite Adult Swim show, is Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law. As a show, I feel like Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law leans on the shock value a lot less. Yes. Um, I think it might hit it a little bit more than Crow Eye sometimes does, but it really, it's not going in that like super grossed out direction. But also I, I like, I feel like Harvey Birdman doesn't go as far as Crow High in terms of like making the joke of the, sh- like the show, the joke itself. So much of Harvey Birdman is the encapsulation of the feeling of having in jokes with friends as a TV show where you get to like the final season of Harry Burman and there's the employee training video. And it's just like, here's recurring gag after recurring gag hitting and 
often combining with other recurring gags. And part of the, the humor is just you recognizing, oh, okay, when, like, the the hippopotamus character is doing the did you get that thing i sent you but it is in the form of one of those puzzles where it's a bunch of different icons and you have to like (laughs) cipher through them in order to find out what it says and so you literally have to like pause the show to cipher through it and it's did you get that thing i sent you but then all the ciphers are also weird references to other recurring jokes in the show and like harvey birdman is just so committed to the recurrence of jokes that like if I were to take Heathcliff and place it on the Birdman to Crow High spectrum, it's like in the middle where I think Heathcliff is a little is also a little bit more reliant on just the recurrence of jokes, but I think is also like more at least my read is like more humorously aware of how absurd it is when it is re- recurring these jokes in a way that is like purely nonsensical or Dadaist in a way that I don't think birdman is as as much but like again i think harvey birdman's the closest to crow high but i i i love cry crow high more i think it does it better i think it goes further with it um i i think so many episodes of harvey birdman feel more interchangeable with other episodes whereas cromarty high feels like it is constantly doing something new and unexpected for me yes and I yeah, Harvey Birdman to me as well is is probably. I'm glad you brought that up because um, I I think it is a, a useful comparison. The other distinction I would make though is, and I say this as someone who really who loves Harvey Birdman, it it seems fundamentally more wedded to its formulas. Yeah, you know the basic shtick being like, oh yeah, it's you know all these classic like comic book or like, you know, superhero cartoon characters, but like recontextualized in like, Oh, it's, you know, it's just quotidian reality. And they're like, you know, having legal trouble. Yeah. And let's imagine like different ways that that could happen where, you know, Crow High is like, um, it, pantomimes doing something like that summarily and then it's just like it goes off in a completely like a thousand different directions that's like not beholden to that yeah i like i also have a lot of fondness for every Birdman. it's the only adult swim show that i still own the dvds for i used to have dvds for more of them and like got rid of them in subsequent moves um but i held on to harvey birdman because one like I watched it a lot with my roommate at the time, who I also watched Crow High with, and Harvey Birdman does more directly scratch that, like, oh, there's an in-joke itch, and it just becomes, like, the in-joke that you all share. Everyone who's watched Harvey Birdman knows, you know, and that some of it also becomes, like, okay, how deep into it of, like, do you know the in-joke of every time there's an explosion, there's a lobster, which is, like, one of the more hidden in-jokes. Um, but again, like you're saying, it's so much more committed to the formula of both like, here's the base premise and then also the formula of, and we're going to like continually intersperse these recurring gag in jokes. Whereas Crow High is just like, again, it, Crow High is the comedy that I think has the most like directly 
for me been engaged with sub- like playing with your expectations that comedy is all about expectations and we are going to like very intentionally play with that to such a degree that we are going to be aware that you are going to become aware that that's what we're doing and we're going to start then joking about that in and of itself and we are going to start like playing with your expectations as someone who has come to understand how we're playing with your expectations we're now then going to play with the expectations that you've built up about us playing with your expectations in ways that are then going to still surprise you. And it's like, <laughs> like that probably sounds confusing if you haven't watched Crow High, but that's what this show is. That's what, that's like why this show hits so well and why it works so well. Um, I think the, the, for me, the single most like, here's the big cohesive through line of Cromartie High and its humor is that, it is a comedy that is very, very focused on how do we take a, an audience's expectations and how do we use that to construct comedy and like surprise them and surprise them in ways that delight them and amuse them. And that like takes into consideration every possible way that you might be able to like respond. Yeah. Respond. And then like, responds to that as well until you just get to the ending where it like almost just admits like yeah like we've reached the end point like we're gonna have an episode about maid attending to animals and then we're just gonna like repeat jokes from the beginning and have like one final joke that is a gesture to the end of the series but also the beginning of the manga <laughs> right like then yeah. it's like part of me is also like i I would love another season of Cromartie High School because I feel like they would figure out how to make it work. But another part of me is just like, I feel like it just, it ends when it needs to. Mm -hmm. Like it reaches a point where you're like, yeah, you've like, you, you've reached a point where I don't know where you go from here. And you just like, go like, yeah. And it's over now. The end. Like, yeah. And that's, (laughs) we've hit the conclusion of, all right, this is like all we can think of in terms of how to subvert your expectations. Bye. <laughs> yeah, and and I, you know, I said at the start of our discussion today, like, you know, part of me does wish that they would do more, but there is a there is a an appeal for something ending when it should, or I would rather have you know not enough of something than too much and a lot of times with anime sometimes we don't get that i don't want to say they don't know when to stop but like you know some of the anime that we're talking about like ghost in the shell for example is still going um i haven't seen the most recent series but you have told me um i haven't watched it i've read about it and i there's a part of me that's like I don't want to watch it, and if I ever did, it would be a part of this podcast just to, like, the name of this podcast is Ghost Divers. Like, at some point, it might be interesting to just do all of Ghost in the Shell and just, like, fully express our disappointment that I'm sure we're going to have with, like, the recent series. Even as I'm incredibly excited right now to have Major Kusanagi as a demon in my DX2 Dr. Pong, uh phone game where, yeah, Lilith and a succubus and Major Kuzanagi 
core part of my team. <laughs> I feel I, I feel really bad for Togusa that he got turned into a succubus. It's really <laughs> tough, tough break for for him. Yeah, that's the thing. The I'm able to have a team of demons in the go or in the um yeah the Ghost in the Shell cl- crossover with Shin Megami Tensei than are like female main characters who would actually do anything in Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get to when we talk about second gig. Um, Once again, we cannot escape it. No, we can't. Um, Let's get back on topic. We can so, wrap it up. Yeah. So um, I think we're almost at the end. We're almost there. It's been three hours. Hang in there. How do we keep doing this? <laughs> I I I don't know. It's it's unexplained. Uh. So, okay. And I will just say, like Ava does this as well. We'll get around to this. We'll have a very interesting discussion on Ava. Um. You know, I am very pleased with. Uh, I mean, as much as you can be, because it's a, it's a deeply upsetting series. But um, the series, like, it's in a lot of ways, it's not enough, and I I like that as a defining feature of it. Um, I think having too much of something, having a sequel, can sometimes make the, it can sometimes make things worse. And Crow High, like. If there is never any more crow high, I I am okay with that because what we have is like is perfect unto itself. Um, yeah. And yeah, on that note, you know, there's more that we could we could talk about, but we have almost hit the Tarkovsky mark. So um, yeah, I know there's some we could say about narrative. I think I will. I'll put my foot down here and say, if you want us to talk more about the possibility of what is the narrative of Cromartie High School, write in. We have a question bucket, ghostdiverspod at gmail.com. And in fact, next episode will be the question bucket. So send in your questions. Hope to hear from you. I have backup plans if we don't get any emails, but here we go. So far they're Um, flooding in, so... Yeah, you know, we've got to be necessary. Yeah, I guess we can otherwise just wrap up. Thanks to the Export Audio Network for hosting us. You can go to exportaud.io or patreon.com slash export audio to support the network. You can check out the other shows on the network. And yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, I've been like plugging some of the shows early on here i recently started listening to stan ontology the k-pop podcast it's great connor i don't know what your feelings are on k-pop i feel like you would enjoy stan ontology regardless um (laughs) they like fully deep dive into individual tracks and break them down and then also like explain what is the phenomenon of k-pop in general and like how has it evolved and blah 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 um it's a fantastic podcast that sounds fantastic Um, as a K-pop agnostic, I'm I'm intrigued. <laughs> um, also, the first one that they do is G by Girls Generation, which in my heart, like I may have heard other K-pop songs before that, but in my heart of hearts, that was my first K-pop song. Um, it was the first one that like, that like I truly made notice of. And 
I forget exactly when it came out, but I know it was like it was so big that when I first moved to Chicago and I was going to the University of Chicago and on weekends we would often go to Chinatown to like go to a restaurant and just like be someplace other than Hyde Park. Um, It was still everywhere. And I feel like it had been out for like at least a year, if not two then. And yeah, it it's also just a great like it is was already probably one of my favorite K-pop songs. And then the way that they break it down, I'm like, this song is actually truly genius. I love it so much. So yeah, there's my my plug. Listen to Stan Ontology. Otherwise, you can follow us at Ghost Divers Pod on Twitter or Instagram. You can follow me at FoxMomNia. Uh, you can also follow at GarfReadAloud if you want to watch videos of me reading Garfield aloud every single day. Um, where can people follow you, Connor? Uh, you can follow me at Rabelais, uh on Twitter. All right, and we we will see you in two weeks. Question bucket, Cromartie High School. Right in. Do it now. I know you want to. Don't be like, hey, I'll do it later. You'll forget. Just, you know, rate it now. Um, or else your pressing questions may never be resolved. Ghostiverspod at gmail.com. Bye. Bye. Also, I'm for sure going to do a thing where when I first say bye after we talk about the episode, I'm going to play the theme song and then I'm going to like or the ending theme. And then I'm going to have our whole thing breaking down. <laughs> what is the comedy? And I'm going to have every time that I say bye in that I'm going to like start doing something that will make it seem like the episode is ending and then cut back. So that's my plan. That's for how fantastic. This is I was worried. I was um, like, uh, I made that awkward. Uh, but I know I. You, you always have a, a way to, to work it out. Yeah, I'm going to bring in some, some comedy to the way that I edit these. Um, all right, let's like quick record the end of the intro to Crow High, which is basically this very short work cited. We'll do the little wrap-up um, next episode, blah, blah, blah. And we'll do uh, content warnings, which there aren't a ton for this. Mm-hmm. So... Um, let me, let me like get ready. Reset. Yeah. Oh, wow. I think we got back at the same time. Wow. Synchronization. Yeah. Um, yeah, us, you know famously 
good about linearity, about staying on top of things, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's Not what people, digressing. that's what people listen to us for, you know, our, our linear structured episode recaps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We just like, we go through the plot step by step, you know, I'll say exactly what happened in every single episode and you'll just like respond as I'm saying it. And it's just like very linear. Like you could have not watched it and you still know exactly what happened. It It's perfect. Um, yeah. We make sure we don't miss any details of the plot. Yeah. Um, part of me is just like, are we going to somehow end up talking longer about Crow High than Crow High itself? <laughs> I, um, it's, maybe. Yeah, we might. What? I'm looking at this clock. We might. Um, so anyway, <laughs> episode 21. I don't have anything else to say here. I'm not going to do my, my full DX2 spiel that I was possibly going to get into because it's late. Yeah. Um, and, you know, vo- vocal fatigue is a thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know. We can do that in the question bucket. I'm sure we'll have some time at least. Yeah, we'll we'll see. Have we had Have we had any questions yet? I haven't checked the, um, the inbox. I don't think we've gotten anything yet. I do periodically look, which is fine. I mean, we've, we're only one discussion episode into Ghost in the Shell right now. True. Yes. And it like I don't know. It won't really bother me if we don't if we don't get any, um, because. You know, it's just an opportunity for us to, like, digress. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like some of it can just be, like, let's talk a little bit more. Any other, like, final thoughts we have on the series, if, if we don't get questions. Um, it's okay if those episodes are a little bit shorter. It's also, like, we might just talk some about, like, my other big backup is just, like, hey, so what else are you, like, watching or reading or whatever right now? Mm-hmm. Um that like may not be related at all to anime, but like, let's just talk a little bit more. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, I know it's late, so, you know, probably don't want to shoot the breeze for another 30 minutes, but I like, I feel good about our crow high discussions. Like not that I didn't feel good about guests on the show. Cause I did, but I really like enjoyed the crow high discussions and I feel like it's like, how should I put this? Like, I'm I'm proud of, like, Ghost Divers, like, n- no matter what. And I'm, like, really, I get a lot of, like, joy from it. And I'm, like, glad we're doing it. But I also feel like Ghost in the Shell and, like, Crow High, it almost feels like a test case where it's, like, if we're able to, like, have, discuss- if we're able to, like, get through like ghost in the shell and then also get through crow high and have interesting conversations like about them both like we can do we can do anything (laughs) you know yeah um i feel like we've gotten like we've like hit the two like widest extremes in terms of what like we could possibly material we could possibly have to deal with um yeah it this to me feels like such a good like it was purposeful for me being like let's follow up ghost in the shell with cromarty high school because i feel like for a listener listening to the show seeing like okay here's how they talk about 
Ghost in the Shell, here's how they talk about Cromarty High School, and that, like, we are bringing a similar approach and perspective, and yet they are such different shows, and the conversation is going to be different because of that as well, but also, like, the similarities that exist Mm -hmm. in the way that we're talking about these anime is this kind of thing of, like, like you're saying, like, they feel like such extremes, and if we can do both of these, then, like, yeah, this this format works or like our approach works. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like if ghost divers can do both of those things, like back to back, like, yeah, it's, so I'm just saying in addition to like feeling good about what we're doing, like I feel, you know, good, like confident wise. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like part of me is like, I don't know. I haven't gotten a ton of feedback on the show yet. I don't know how it's going to hit, but also it's like, we have one discussion yeah. episode out so far. So, um, yeah. yeah. And I, I feel like, um, you know, especially for like what we're doing, if it is going to like really catch on, which again, like if it does or it doesn't, it makes no difference to me in terms of my, like the joy that I get out of it and the pride that I have, like, doing it with you and like producing this thing but anyway like if it is going to catch on with the type of podcast we're doing i feel like it's just gonna like it's gonna take time yeah um so yeah and ultimately like if just like a few people are like whoa i like this and i'm like it's it's like helping me access this or get something out of this that I wasn't getting. Um, or just brief. If we have even just a handful of diehard fans that are watching along with everything we do, like possibly even reading some of the stuff that we're like doing as work cited and are like engaged in that level. Like, even if it was just like a small handful, I would still be like, this is really cool and exciting. I would feel so validated. I'm happy. And even if that doesn't happen, I'm still just like, this is an incredibly fun thing to do with my friend Connor. Yeah. Yeah. And like, we get to have like, I, I, I still feel like we're like producing something great. Even if like, first of all, it's fun and brings me like joy and like all the things we talked about where we get to like hang out and have excellent conversations um oh, emily i i have this song stuck in my head can you help me figure it out <laughs> no what? i'm gonna hum it to you okay. and see if you know what it is okay. so it goes <laughs> no <laughs> So you don't know? No. Maybe if you hum it to me, I'll figure it out. No. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Um. <laughs> I love you. Bye. I think that's the signal that I should let you that I should let you go. Yeah, I'm gonna go to bed now. Okay, sounds good. I don't want to get you in, in trouble. Bye. All right. See ya.